Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Hello and welcome to this June 1st, Friday edition of the Hagman Report. Sorry about that intro there. The music, the uh, music, the intro music we play, the uh, iPad that brings that audio in died there, so we apologize for that uh, little slip up. But we got a great show planned for you today. So glad to be here. So happy that it is Friday. Uh, for whatever reason, it's, it's a four-day week because of Memorial Day last weekend, but it, it's been a long, tough week. But we got a great show planned to take us out for this evening. We're going to be covering news with my dad and myself in the first half hour. Then we're going to be joined by John Guandalo, uh, understandingthethreat.com, where we're going to be talking about a number of issues. First and foremost, what is happening? Uh, you can get this article up on HagmanReport.com. What is happening with the doxing of a conservative Twitter user to the point where her family friends have been harassed? Uh, her husband lost his job directly due to the reporter who uh, targeted her, calling her husband's work. Now they're targeting her brother's businesses and calling for harassment, trying to get them shut down. Has doxing gone too far? Is it getting too dangerous? Absolutely. So we're going to break that down in this segment with news as well as with John Gondalo. After that, guest Bill Salas is going to be joining us to give us another Middle Eastern prophecy, prophecy update. Then we're going to be taken out uh, in the last segment by Andrew Drapper. Many of you might remember Andrew. He's the host of the Red Pill Report He over in the U.K. He does a great job uh, covering issues that have been happening in the U.K. and in America. And we're going to be talking about the Tommy Robinson arrest as well as other topics that are of vital importance. All right, I want to start here. We've seen over the last few days this huge uh, controversy that has surrounded Samantha Bee's comments calling Ivanka Trump the C-word, later apologizing, but not going to be fired, not going to be suspended or reprimanded, and many people are up in arms. Well, Kathy Griffin, remember her? She's the one who had Donald Trump's head uh, um, like in a mock beheading execution, and she posted a picture on social media holding that head and pretty much uh, had a mental breakdown after the response that she received, is now coming out in support of Samantha B. Kathy Griffin on The View said, you know what, Samantha B. is the real victim, and she's not the only one. You have members in the news media, one, Chuck Todd from MSNBC, stating that how is Trump not responsible for some, what Samantha B. said? trying to lay the blame on President Trump. Also, ABC and George Stephanopoulos defending Samantha Bee and blaming Trump for the vulgarity. Uh, and even going as far to say, I hope she's out of the woods and doesn't see any repercussions. CNN and other journalists there are defending Samantha Bee, calling her an important voice in the uh, media realm. And also, there was an award ceremony last night. Uh, some you know, self-congratulatory Hollywood, uh, you know, love fest that they do so often. And she was given an award, but the news media, the press, was barred from 
attending that event. So we see the true colors of the left, the hypocrisy. Roseanne makes an off-color joke on Twitter, is fired, her show canceled. Meanwhile, Samantha B calls the first daughter the C-word and then goes to, on to imply that she should dress prov- provocatively in order to get her father's attention to change immigration, immigration policy. And it's absolutely, uh, you know, just unbelievable what we have seen from the left in response to Samantha B's comments. Now, also, uh, I mentioned that uh, the conservative Twitter user who has been attacked, doxxed by a Huffington Post reporter, Luke O'Brien. He has targeted her friends, her family, her ex-boyfriends, her husband's work, getting him fired, now her brother's businesses. We are going to be covering that uh, in detail today, first with in this first segment of news, and then with the first guest, John Guandalo. But first, I want to bring your attention to the Starbucks employee training. <clears throat> in recent weeks, after an, an incident in Philadelphia where two African-American men had the police called on them because they wanted to use the restroom but did not purchase coffee. It raised this huge issue with Starbucks, and the sensitivity training started. They shut down Starbucks for a 24-hour period right after that happened and held a mandatory employee sensitivity training. Well, they did it again just yesterday. I'm sorry, Tuesday. And what they did was a slap in the face to everybody. you got to listen to this. Starbucks training, employees forced to watch video after video of white cops attacking blacks. The only purpose of propaganda real like that is to generate anti-white racial hatred. At one point, a girl at my table actually had to get up and leave because the video after video they showed black people being assaulted or police or black people being verbally assaulted and white police being racially biased towards people of color. The young black Starbucks employee told the Philly magazine after being forced to take part in their racial sensitivity training course. Starbucks billed Tuesday's training camp as one step in addressing racial biases, and national reports have called the company's move an important start. But two Philadelphia Starbucks employees I talked to, the training merely uh, targeted people of color and exacerbated racial tensions. I mean, how can you go hold a racial sensitivity course showing video after video of, uh, you know, white police officers beating black suspects for whatever reason and call that sensitivity training? That is inflaming the minds, creating even more division, even more hatred. It is the complete opposite of what they were setting out to do. And the media is praising them for it, calling them things, which I hate this, calling them woke for doing so. And you can go to InfoWars and see the article there with Chaz videos and clips from the training in there. So just more liberal insanity, uh, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month. It seems to get worse and worse and worse. And, uh, you know, here we are. And the racial divide is uh, not as bad as the media reports it to be, but they highlight on all these, you know, issues or the, these single cases to try to make it appear as that is the case. But the racial tensions were created by the Obama administration, the Obama and Holder policies, which led to multiple law enforcement assassinations directly due to their attitude uh, 
and, and their promotion of certain groups that were calling for the death of police officers. While we're talking about media hypocrisy, Joy Reid is in the news again. She's the host of AM Joy on MSNBC. I think it's on the weekend, Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Well, more information about what she had put out in her blogs. Remember, just a few weeks ago, she was in trouble because they found in her blogs in 2007 and 2008 many homosexual, anti-homosexual references and and other vulgar jokes, which the left, you know, absolutely uh, uh, made that triggered them. Well, now it's come out that there is more in her background. They're labeling her uh, because of comments she made a 9/11 truther. Also, there was a picture of John McCain pictured as the Virginia Tech shooter, and MSNBC is saying, you know, whatever that was in the past. She's better now. She is. Uh, she's on the right track. So you know, those things that are in her past, we're just going to let it go. More of the media hypocrisy now to international news and domestic news. The United States and President Trump seems to have reached an agreement again to uphold the June 12th summit between leader Kim Jong-un and the president. For the first time in 18 years, a Korean, uh, a high-ranking level, uh, a high-ranking North Korean government official was on U.S. soil meeting with members of the White House. And we see the front headline on Drudge. Now we are going to deal President Trump uh, reported that he uh, responded to Kim Jong's letter with a letter and uh, his own letter, and Kim Jong Un sent a representative uh, to the White House, which got here today, ending weeks of uncertainty about the historic meeting with Kim Jong Un to discuss ending North Korean leader's nuclear program. So Trump made the announcement just a week after he said he was canceling the Singapore summit following more than an hour-long meeting with a top North Korean official. So, Trump told reporters today that we are going to deal. He also said it is likely that more than one meeting would be necessary to bring about his goal of denuclearization with the Korean Peninsula. I think we're going to have a very positive result in the end. We will see what we will see, he said. So, uh, a a turnaround there from the, uh, you know, it appeared that it was going to be canceled, and now it is back on. Uh, folks, go to HagmanReport.com. Check out the articles there in exclusive reports, also under In Other News. Assad, I don't know how many people saw this, and we're going to get into this, to this with Bill Salas today. President Bashir al-Assad in Syria threatens retaliation against the United States, vows to reclaim Syrian territory out of the hands of U.S.-backed forces. Now, he's not saying U.S. forces. He's saying U.S.-backed forces, which are these uh, you know, Islamic Rebels that have uh, anything from Al Qaeda to ISIS. Uh, apparently, what we've been doing in the Middle East, and in, in, in specifically with the Arab Spring, and uh, he seems like he is uh, very upset. In an interview with RT, Russia's state's international broadcaster Assad, Assad said he began now opening doors for negotiations with U.S.-backed Syrian Democratic Forces, which control much of the Northeast <clears throat> in Syria after expelling the Islamist state militants this is the first option if not we're going to resort to liberating those areas by force he said we do not have any other options with the americans or with the americans or without the americans i'm sorry assad is now firmly in control of most of syria after seven years of a brutal civil war that has killed an estimated half a million people displacing more than six million people 
forcing another 5 million to flee abroad as refugees. So, will we see diplomatic negotiations between the United States and Syria with these U.S.-backed rebels, or will we see Assad using military intervention to deal with the problem himself? That is the uh, $64,000 question, so we will keep our eye on that. Now, in the world of... uh, the economy, we have some new jobs numbers out today, and I see hear many people on the conservative side be, getting real excited about this. Uh, unemployment down to 3.8%, the lowest level since the year 2000. More, more than, you know, 250,000, 300,000 jobs were created this month. That's all fine and good, but that does not indicate the true uh, nature of our unemployment problem here in the, the United States. When they calculate unemployment, they do not calculate people who have not looked for jobs in six months or more and uh, people who have been out of work for six months or more, off unemployment for six months or more. So there are 93, 94 million Americans that are without work, not working, and not looking for work, which are considered out of the job force. And those people are not counted when we count the unemployment numbers. So it's a very... Uh, deceptive number. When one third of the country isn't working, how can you have a 3.8 unemployment rate? It just doesn't make sense. So, you know, I just say, don't get excited about these numbers until they accurately, uh, until they accurately compute the numbers. There's um, not really much to celebrate there. They say black unemployment is at a historic low. Uh, that's good news if it's true. But again, with the job numbers, never trusted them, and I still do not trust them now. But it seems that <clears throat> at least they're they're going in the right direction now. Uh, the IG report that was going to be released on the fifth, which was a Tuesday ahead of the testimony of the Attorney General to the Senate Intelligence Committee, I believe. And now that has been pushed back to June 11th. Many impatient people are not happy about that decision, but it's going to come out in the next few weeks, so uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait. And I believe the testimony is going to be pushed back, too, if the report is not going to be released. All right, what to next? We have... Uh, a number of other important headlines. Yeah, you know what? I just want to. I just want to jump in on this. Um, the J- Monday, June eleventh, twenty eighteen. That's going to be the day. Uh, room two eight or two sixteen of the Hart uh, Senate Hart Bill- Yeah, Hart Senate Office Building. Actions in advance of the twenty sixteen presidential election. That's the title of the. Of the hearing, the testimony, of course, this uh, will be um, the Senate Judiciary Committee, their hearing on the OIG report. Again, actions in advance of the 2016 presidential election, Monday, June 11th, 2018, 2 p.m., room 216 of the Hart Senate Office Building. So save the date. That was originally scheduled, as you said, for June 5th. Now, yeah, yeah, a lot of things about this. The, the bottom line with this, I believe, uh, looking at this, the you have to understand this is coming out in phases. The, the first phase, of course, you're looking at the uh, election meddling. I suppose, I suppose, in air quotes, and the DOJ slash FBI their handling of that. Then you've got the the FISA. 
and you got the email and the FISA abuses separate from that. So, um, I, 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 I follow Sidney Powell on Twitter and, uh, of course she's been talking about this as a Fox News, uh, guest and contributor. We're, I, you know, I, I think we're, we're looking right now at a potential breakdown. Uh, breakdown, uh, well, I shouldn't say breakdown, an expose of the, let me just get to my notes here that I had, a, um, um, a change in the timeline, an exposure of the criminality of the deep state. Here's what I mean. You've got Obama's illegal spying mm-hmm. on the political opposition. That started before the investigation. I'm going to tell you right now, today. Uh, and, and I did my, my show today on this as well. When you look at the timeline, you're seeing this moving timeline that explains the spying scandal. But you've got to go back even further. Go back to 9-11, when all of the rules changed with the introduction of the Patriot Act and the NSA grabbing everything out there. The Our voluntary surrender of our Fourth Amendment rights this is where it began. People aren't thinking big enough. They're not looking back far enough. They're not looking at the entire picture. So you've got this breakdown of our rights in favor of, of course, security, right? So you've got that. But you're looking at something else here with this Obama gate. This is not Spygate, by the way. This is all of Obama gate, but this is something much bigger. This is an international problem or international conspiracy. And I deliberately use the word conspiracy. You've got the UK at the behest of John Brennan of the CIA becoming involved in the spying campaign. You've got the five eyes, the five intelligence agencies globally being tapped for this very same issue or this very same, same objective. You've got Basically, all of the international intelligence communities that are allied with the United States involved in the attempted takedown of Donald Trump. Now, imagine that. Imagine winning the office with all of that against you. <coughs> Excuse me. So, this is what we're, we're looking at. Plus, the, the timeline itself, many people will point to July 31st of 2016, as, as to when the official investigation of this began. You gotta go back years before that. In fact, go back to 2014. Go back to 2015. Um, and it's just not limited to, uh, the President Donald Trump's campaign stuff. It, the intelligence community had assets in all of the concern, or I should say Republican side. All of the, candidates on the Republican side. We've only seen just the tip of the iceberg. There's nothing Russia about this. There's nothing Russian-centric about this spying campaign. This is an attempt to take down. And it's still going on, by the way. Joe, I mean, it, it's yeah. still taking place right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I think what you're going to see as well is new evidence that will contradict the FBI, Department of Justice, the Comey Lynch testimony, the timelines. Yeah. 
And it already has to some great degree. Yes, you have Adam has. Schiff out there saying it's a conspiracy theory uh, if you believe that there was an FBI informant in the Trump campaign when it's already been admitted. You have uh, it, so many people trying to, to uh, convolute the waters, especially in, in the public arena. You know, you have John Brennan and James Clapper still doing TV interviews. These people are all being brought in to try to shift the narrative in, into a certain uh, area, into a lie, with these lies. And it's not going to work because it has already come out that there was an FBI informant with his name attached to it and the money he got paid while for doing what he was doing. He, also, Fusion GPS, uh, Simpson, Glenn Simpson lied to Congress. Uh, that is up on, on Hagman Report also. But, yeah, this Spygate, Obamagate, Obamagate spy ring is a huge story. And I don't know where I saw it today, but I said it just a little bit ago, that the investigation, the spying, started before any investigation was launched. Oh, absolutely. Making it yeah. completely illegal. Yeah. I mean, I think that was on the Gateway Pundit. I'm going to check. Well, no. In addition to this, we're looking at prosecutors grilling uh, uh, Comey um, as U.S. Attorney's Office or seriously, the U.S. Attorney's Office seriously weighing, charging McCabe. Now, now think about this. Andrew McCabe. Okay, was that an accurate report? This is from Breitbart, okay. in part. Uh, Josh Kaplan, as well, reporting on this as, uh, via Breitbart. But a new report is stating that the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office recently interviewed James Comey, apparently taking time off of his book, book tour, in what's being described as an indication that the office is seriously considering criminal charges to be filed against uh, Andrew McCabe. And he's the deputy director. This, now remember, James Comey ostensibly threw McCabe under the bus, or vice versa. No honor among thieves, as the statement goes. Mm-hmm. So, and here it is, uh, John Solomon bombshell. Yeah, Obama deep state was spying yeah. on Trump campaign with human sources before investigation launched. The bridge to the Russia investigation wasn't erected in Moscow during the summer of the 2016 election. It originated earlier, 1,700 miles away in London, where foreign figures uh, contacted Trump campaign advisors and provided the FBI with hearsay allegations of Trump-Russia collusion. Bureau documents and interviews of government insiders reveal these contacts in spring 2016. Some from trusted intelligence sources, others from Hillary Clinton supporters, occurred well before FBI headquarters authorized an official counterintelligence investigation on June 31, 2016. The new timeline makes one wonder, did the FBI follow its rules governing informants? And as we reported earlier, no, they did not. It was reported that James Comey went outside the uh, procedures of the FBI when uh, putting this informant into the Trump campaign. So You know, I, I almost tire, tire myself of hearing myself say this, but to, to me this is the, the most important, if not the, well, the most important story of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Because what has happened? Yeah, it's it's the what the deep state has done is well, the deep state has the deep state in terms of the black hats within the intelligence community. Think about this: the intelligence community really operates the military-industrial intelligence congressional complex. However, you want to 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 extend the Eisenhower uh, phrase, but but. Just think about this. You have Obama 
as this Manchurian candidate? Why do you think that we were so um, insistent upon finding out who Obama really is or was? Why do you think that we were so insistent about, about Obama's bona fides? Why do you think that uh, it mattered back in 2008 that John Brennan was the head of a, a private corporation along with a second corporation involved in the passport office break-in. No one's talking about this now. And then, of course, you had Sheriff Joe Arpaio with Mike Zullo and others represented uh, as well with uh, Carl Gallops talking about this whole situation about the uh, forged birth certificate. And, of course, we were relegated to the dustbin of conspiracy fodder, conspiracy theorists. But this is important because it is Obama who was to, and essentially did, bring this home, okay, so uh, during his eight years. And the other eight years was supposed supposed to be given to Hillary Clinton, of course, through coronation, and she was to, to finish off the United States. That's kind of the bottom line. What we really have to look at, and I would urge everyone to do this, this is kind of my closing statement on this, think bigger than what, we are, John Solomon's piece is great, but we knew that. We knew that this was an international spy ring. We knew that this was beyond politics. Remember, Diana West came on the show, and she said, would somebody risk their careers? No, risk their very lives, espionage and sedition charges, to do what they did, just, just for politics. No, it's bigger than that. This is to usher in, this was to usher in, the final stages, the, the final nails in the coffin known as the United States of America. And, and to the people out there who are the anti-Trump crowd, look, we know the democratic socialists on, on the left. We know. We, we know what you are. That's fine. But, but to the people out there, the anti-Trump, anti-Donald Trump, the never-Trumpers, the, the Christian conservatives who are taking Donald Trump to task for certain things today, Widen your view. Get your head out of your your rectal uh, 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 crevice and understand that this is bigger than anything that we have seen before. And thank God for Donald Trump. Otherwise, we would not be where we are today in terms of the exposure to this criminality. So I just want to, again, think bigger because this is much bigger. Folks, we're up against the, the break. You're listening to the Hagman Report. It is the first day of June 2018. Glad to be with you. Coming up, John Guandala. John Guandala, understandingthethreat.com. Stay with us. And welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. This first day of June 2018, we have with us John Guandalo, understandingthethreat.com. Now, I'll tell you what, John is a uh, man who speaks plainly and speaks boldly. In uh, talking about that, I would urge everyone to go to understandingthethreat.com and, and take a look at speaking truth boldly is the best response to the Islamic threat. Now, there are some people out there who don't believe that 
that Islam is a threat to our representative republic, to our constitution, who believe that Sharia is uh, fine, co- it can coexist with the constitution. I'm going to tell you right now, that is wrong, that's a lie, that's a lie made in hell, and, and again, once again, you've got to understand the threat. That's why I like the, the website, understandingthethreat.com, because if you don't understand the threat, you're not going to have... Look, you need to understand the threat. We are, right now, the United States of America, the nation, our nation, our morals, our culture, our heritage is under attack by Islam. Not radical Islam, but Islam. Period. No modifier in front of that. And apparently the people at Right Wing Watch, such as Peter Montgomery, apparently have an issue with understanding the threat. Or maybe they just don't care. Or maybe maybe they're facilitating in that. If you wonder why I'm sound angry, because I, I happen to care about the future of the United States of America. I happen to care about our history. I happen to care about the present. And I happen to care about the America, the nation that we're leaving to our children and our grandchildren. And so does John Guandalo, a man, I, I'll tell you what, a man of integrity, a man of character, and a man who knows what the hell he's talking about when it comes to, to Islam. And I want to thank him for being the, the patriot that he is. Because you see propaganda, and I'm going to bring him on just a second. If you go to understandingthethreat.com, propaganda is, by definition, intentionally used to manipulate and control, making it, I'm sorry, propaganda is, by definition, intentionally used to manipulate and control, making it antithetical to liberty. Uh, Truer words never spoken. The Islamic movement uses its Islamophobia campaign as a hammer to impose the Islamic law of slander. On the non-Muslim world, slander is legally defined in Islam as saying anything but Islam that Muslims would dislike. And it's a capital crime under Sharia. Full stop right there. Bringing this home with us. And it's our great pleasure to have John Guandala with us. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your bold words. Well, well, thank you. You, you know, uh, as you write, the best way to counter the tidal wave of lies, deceit, and propaganda coming from the Islamic leaders is to speak truth boldly without hesitation, no matter what the cost. So, um, and you're doing that, but, but you're getting a lot of heat tell us about what's going on here if you don't mind especially with what's going on in texas and your 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 um teaching of, of the law enforcement well it's interesting what uh is happening is there's there's multiple things going on at once obviously marxist groups like the southern poverty law center you mentioned right wing watch and all these others uh many soros funded groups uh aclu anti-defamation league and others come against the work we do, uh, and they've never once challenged us on uh, a factual basis. It's always just ad hominem attacks and throwing uh, verbal grenades at us, but they have an effect because then what they do is they uh, put pressure on businesses, they put pressure on law enforcement, elected officials, um, and it affects our business, which is actually not lawful, and we're dealing with that civilly. Uh, legally right now on a number of fronts. Um, but like in Texas, uh, 
the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Muslim Advocates, which is a Muslim Brotherhood front. They uh, put pressure on the director of the Texas uh, Commission on Law Enforcement to rescind the credit hours that police got, who attended a training I did about uh, four weeks ago in San Angelo, Texas. Uh, what's interesting is there were representatives from the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, or TCOL for short, in the training, and their report to the director was there's nothing negative about this training. It was very factual, evidentiary, and they actually taught us things that we had never heard before about the you know Islamic threat, the terrorist threat. But because these groups pressured the director, the director discounted his own people's comments and rescinded the credits and we're working on that and I believe that the part about that I want to say is I believe that'll be turned around that the decision is going to be changed but even if it isn't law enforcement in Texas you know police talk to police sheriffs talk to sheriffs chiefs talk to chiefs prosecutors talk to prosecutors and the reality is they're talking to each other saying this is the best training we've ever had so we're going to be training police in Texas, despite whatever the outcome is of this. And that's, but right there, that friction point, that's the war. They want to win the war. The enemy wants to win the war. The jihadis, with their Marxist allies and um, those collaborating with them, they want to win the war by shutting down the discussion. Because if you don't have a discussion, you'll never get the information. All we're doing is teaching things. And and nobody can factually come against what we're teaching. Nobody. And they never have in, well, quite frankly, since uh, 2006 when I was doing this inside the Bureau. They've never been able to say anything about what I teach factually. It's all just ad hominem attacks, and that's okay. Like, personally and professionally, I'm okay with it. When they do something that's defamatory like they do, well, then my lawyers get involved and they have to deal with them. Um, but it's a, it's a battle, and what they're trying to do is wear us down financially because they know lawyers cost money and um, in all kinds of ways. But, you know, I'm a Marine, not going to quit, going to fight till my last breath, and uh, that's just the way it is. And that's what understand, everyone on my team and understand the threat is has uh, got the same attitude. We understand what's at stake, and uh, the least we could do, the least we could tolerate is people calling us names. I mean, I have uh, brothers in arms that I served with in combat and friends of mine who served in combat that aren't with us anymore because they gave the last full measure for this country. I think the least my team can do is take a few hits with people calling us names. It's not it's not a big, tall order. Right. Yeah. And, and John, I want to ask you this. We've seen this these hate speech laws enacted in Europe where, I mean, if an Islamic terrorist carries out a terror attack and somebody on social media points out or tells the truth that it was Islamic-inspired because of, of Islam, they can be charged with hate speech laws. And we see this, uh, you know, trend today in our society where obviously we have the First Amendment, but it is under attack, the freedom of speech is under attack, uh, specifically just with this uh, Islamic critic a critic of Islam on Twitter who had the who was doxxed and her husband was fired and on and on and on. Uh, th- what really bothers me is, you know, telling the truth about Islam from their own words. You don't need to make anything up. You don't need to even use your own opinions. You can use their own words 
to can to, to show that what their religion is about. Do you see a time here in America where criticism of Islam will be or could be criminal? Uh, yeah, criminal. Well, I would say um, in some ways uh, we've we've hit that mark. Um, but I think the interesting thing is with this current president, I mean, I would say this, um, I don't like speaking hypothetically, but I'm going to in this case. I think if Mrs. Clinton had been elected, you would see people like me and my colleagues uh, being charged and going to jail for speaking about Islam because Mrs. Clinton was one of the people that drove the agenda from the OIC, which is the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. That's the largest voting block in the U.N. made up of every single Muslim nation on Earth, 57 states, at the head of state level, like at the king level. And what they are trying to do, what they said they're trying to do uh, in their own 10-year plan from 2005 to 2015 was to bring deterrent punishments against those who speak out against Islam. Why? because it's a violation of the Islamic law of slander, which is legally defined as saying anything about Islam or a Muslim that a Muslim would dislike, and it's a capital crime. So that's that's where we are. So I throw that hypothetical in because uh, we're not there now because this president has had an impact, but I will tell you that the forces moving behind that effort are still moving in their direction, not not in our direction. So uh, there is a lot of work to be done. There is a lot of work to be done, and I am concerned. That, uh, and to be clear, we have had people in Europe arrested for writing books that are literally putting out facts about Islam, legal cases about Islam. They've uh, books. We had a guy in Scotland arrested for posting a tweet that was negative, derogatory about Syrian refugees. He got arrested in Scotland for that. You've got a, in Germany a journalist that published a photograph of a Muslim Brotherhood leader from the 1940s meeting with a Nazi leader, and he got arrested for that. This is where Europe is. These are European countries. And so that, it, I, don't, I don't understand why that has not awoken people, but it, I do believe that they're more awake than we know, because you'll never know by, you know, just looking at mainstream media. But what you see trending on social media is that people are aware Islam is the problem in growing numbers. And there's just this massive left Marxist movement that is made up of ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, you name it, um, that is pushing a narrative that's a lie. And that's what I, in the article, what I'm talking about, that's propaganda. If you're at CNN and you look someone in the eye and say, I didn't know that Islam actually, that, I don't know how you can call yourself a professional journalist 17 years after 9-11. You're unprofessional. And so is the four-star general in the Army or Navy, you know, Admiral in the Navy or Marine Corps general or whoever, who today says, this is not real Islam, what uh, ISIS and al-Qaeda are doing. You should be fired because you're incompetent. If you're an elected official and you still say that and you actually believe that, you're not competent to hold your position. It means you you swear an oath 
to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that legally, that's a legally binding oath, which means you have a duty to know all enemies or do a due diligence search to know all enemies, and a minimum, a minimum amount of study into Sharia Islamic law, what it is and what it says, 100% like a sea of information when you just put all what the Islamic leaders are saying aside and actually read what they're teaching their children in freaking elementary school here in the United States is what ISIS and al-Qaeda teach. And, and now we have people dead all over the country because our leaders have failed to do that. You're right. John, I don't know if you saw this, uh, but what happened in, in Holland or in Dutch today, Dutch school children taken to Islamic mosque told to pray to Allah. Uh, out of Europe, and, and this is reported on the Gateway Pundit, and they were visiting the mosque as part of other culture project, and they were all put down on prayer rugs and asked to pray to Allah. There you go. I mean, that's in Europe. There you so. Go. so so will they allow, so we get other cultures? Can we bring them into a, uh, I don't know, a <laughs> tribal area with cannibals and teach them about cannibalism? There you go. Is that is that okay? Gee. I mean, it's just another culture, and since all cultures have value, yeah. can we yeah. do that? Can we cook cook one of the children and let them cook the children and eat them to show that that's cultural? I mean, this is absurd. All Islamic doctrine, all Islamic doctrine, requires warfare against non-Muslims until the world is under Islamic rule. Period. We have a standing offer, thousand dollars. Please demonstrate where there's a version of Islam, a version of Sharia that doesn't mandate that. It doesn't exist because there's one Quran and there's one Muhammad, which is where Islam comes from. The basis of all Islam and all Islamic law. And it all says it. This is just, it is, yeah, that it's, it's beyond absurd. But we have to deal with the fact that these people cannot in 2018 say, I just don't know. They need yeah. to be held accountable because if you say you don't know, well then we're getting rid of you because you're not competent to serve in any position of authority. You shouldn't be a bank president allowing Sharia finance. You shouldn't be on the school board allowing this stuff taught in the schools. You shouldn't be on the chamber of commerce doing business because you don't clearly don't have the capacity to reason, think, discern, and process data. That's, that's where it needs to begin. You shouldn't be a sheriff. You shouldn't be a police chief. You shouldn't be a member of Congress. You can't swear an oath and a duty because clearly you don't have any functional brainwave activity up in your noggin. Boy, that, that, very well said. And, and in your article, you give four things that, that we can do, we can, uh, we as a public can do. Number one is learn how to respond to typical, typical comments from ignorant people about this threat check, okay, which you're doing right now, uh, helping us with that. Study Sharia as it relates to this war, okay. Now, you've got some um, books and DVDs at understandingthethreat.com that we could uh, use as training and teaching aids. Uh, what do you recommend? Right. Okay, we, we, anything? Well, <clears throat> Go ahead. Yes, I, I want to, so um, there are the book Raising the Gen- uh, Jihadi Generation, I wrote to be a summary of the Muslim Brotherhood threat with a slice of Islamic law thrown in there so people could have a guide as they're reading through there. But it really focuses on the Muslim Brotherhood network. And it gives some examples with some pictures of actual Muslim Brotherhood leaders and where they are and 
um, what they're doing inside our system. That's a great reference, and it's a short, concise book for that. We have a number of DVDs. We have uh, Understand the Threat to America, which is a presentation of the evidence of the Holy Land Foundation trial, okay. which lays out the evidence of the Muslim Brotherhood Network. Uh, the Understanding the Threat, a new DVD series, Episode 1, which is taking the Muslim Brotherhood movement, Islamic law, and the hard-left Marxist movement and showing how they're working together in a, in a very tight presentation of about uh, over 90 minutes. And then we have a live presentation we did, Episode 2, uh, in Iowa this past fall, which shows how we deal with when Marxists are sitting right in the room and how we deal with them. So that's a really good one. We just finished the next two DVDs, which one is a five-plus-hour two-DVD set on Sharia. It's called It's All About Sharia. And it is a long discussion, but in using all kinds of, you know, we use video clips, we use charts, we're having a discussion. It's, it's actually we tried to make it as engaging as possible for people who want to watch it. And it's it's going to lay this out. So I think anyone that just takes the time to just sit down and watch it, and even in pieces, it will just completely like cement in their mind what this is all about, and make it really clear and tie a whole bunch of things together. I'm excited. This is probably going to go to publication in the next week. Uh, go to the you know production, uh, okay. and then I I just finished, and I've got to do the final edits um, uh, Monday on. Uh, a just under one hour DVD on America's founding principles as it relates to law and government and uh, the contrast of who we are versus what uh, uh, Sharia requires and the absolute stark contrast between the two systems. Our system of our constitutional government based on the law of nature and nature's God and Sharia based on the Quran and the example of Muhammad, Islam's prophet. And so um, I'm, I'm excited for both. I and mean, we have other projects coming out. The next book, I'll just kind of tease you with this because we're, we're still, we've got some work to do, but we're doing a book called What Can I Do? And it's all about answering that question about what can the average person do? Because there's a lot people can do, and we want to empower people with all kinds of things they can do independent of understanding the threat because people just need their things you can do at the local and state level, and we believe that's where we're going to win or lose this war. So we want people to be engaged thoughtfully and uh, and in a way that's going to be as productive as possible. Man, I love it. So you've got a lot, uh, a lot coming out and a lot in the hopper. This is good. And what can I do is, is we get that question a lot via email and, and in other forms, because people are saying, well, what can I do? Or what can I do? You know, so th- th- this is good. Um, and when I, I want to ask you too, Sharia, as it's being uh, presented, especially uh, congressional, by, by Congress people, I'm just amazed at, at, at this push for Sharia or the existence of Sharia alongside our Constitution. It's, what is what is driving this this recent spate of of pro Sharia garbage that we're seeing? Well, I think there's a first of all there's a massive campaign behind it. So there's a multi million dollar Marxist campaign uh, 
behind it because they're working together. Uh, groups like Answer, Act Now, Stop War and Racism, Southern Poverty Law Center, um, so many of these working together, Code Pink, with uh, with the jihadis, with Hamas and uh, and Hezbollah, Iranian you know forces here in the United States. Uh, so you've got all of that. That's one aspect of it. You've got uh, the Marxist Party of the United States, also known as the Democrat Party of the United States, that is clearly uh, in the bag for the jihadis, and I mean in all ways possible. Uh, defending them, working for them. I mean, the number two guy at the DNC uh, is in the Muslim Brotherhood's pocket. I would argue he is, Keith Ellison, a Muslim brother. He yep. sits in meetings with the leaders of uh, the terrorist group uh, Hamas doing business as care. Uh, he works with them very closely, uh, you know, strategically, uh, operationally. Uh, this, the, All of this uh, goes towards, in my uh, professional opinion, this is sedition at a minimum, in some cases treason and needs to be addressed um so you've got that you've got the the that all of that behind it and then of course you've got the islamic movement itself uh that has produced numerous organizations that uh present themselves as you know very good looking nice suit wearing friendly people when in fact when you just dig a little bit you realize, oh, that's who these people really are. They're actually suit-wearing jihadis. And they want the exact same thing that ISIS wants, a caliphate under Sharia, a global Islamic state under Sharia, and they believe that this is part of how you fight the war. You deceive, you lie, you it's it's much more counterintelligence and espionage than it is, you know, blowing things up and violent uh, action for now. So that's that's a that's why you're seeing this push, and it's all. And I can tell you, the other thing we're seeing significantly is an assault on all of us that are doing the work we do. I mean, Al Jazeera a few weeks ago did a special on me and uh, my colleagues Robert Spencer, Pamela Geller, Center for Security Policy. I saw that. Um, they, they're coming after uh, they're coming after us legally. They're trying to get in our business. They. You know, they petition the state where we have our business license. They're trying to get it's across the board, and I'm not the only one. They are. No. It's a full-fledged, multi-million-dollar assault on us individually, threatening our families, threatening our businesses and our livelihoods, and the Department of Justice sitting on its freaking hands. And uh, so we understand we have to deal with this at this level. And the problem is, here's the danger, and I've said this now for over ten years. The danger is when the government does not, and I put this question to a senior FBI official back in 2007, but what do you think the citizens are going to do when they realize the FBI and the government don't get the threat and the citizens do? And the reality is citizens are going to take action. And I think that's not necessarily a good thing if the citizens are not educated about the threat and the action steps they can take that will be productive. Because when, when human beings historically get angry and scared as a group, they do things that can not be productive and can really be violent. And I don't think that's uh, the answer. Um, that's a very profound question. Yeah, very profound yeah. of you to ask that question and, and see ahead to where, we are, or where we're at right now. So, yes, you're right. Yeah. 
I mean, it's just, but, but we're there now. I think we're, we're to the point where the citizens are looking around going, well, my federal government's not competent. I, I don't think there are many people that still think the FBI is functionally competent. And I will tell you, there are plenty of parts of the FBI that are, but the American people don't, that just based on polling, they don't have a high confidence. Um, but there are also, the leadership in the FBI is not competent, especially not on this issue, on the Islamic threat. And so because of that, you know, the citizens see that. And so they have to start thinking, why do you think you've got all the things that people are doing now? I mean, the number of people that, that are building, you know, their own compounds and, you know, store, stockpiling weapons and ammunition, why are they doing that? You know, food, you know, large amounts of dry food and all this, that we now have companies that, that that's their business to provide mm-hmm. this to people. Why? Because the government has utterly failed in their number one duty, which is to secure the liberty that God gave all of us as identified in the declaration and then, uh, you know, uh, put that's into right. practice in the constitution. I mean, that's, that's where we are and that's why we're here. That's why it, people feel this way. John, uh, we think, we think the world of you, uh, we know you're taking incoming, uh, you, you're, you know, between this, the, the lawfare, the assaults, the legal assaults you're taking, the hits you're taking, even by supposed uh, patriots, and uh, I'll tell you what: we need to support you, your efforts, support understanding the threat, and certainly get a hold of all of your DVDs and books to pass them out to our sheriffs, our, our prosecutors, so they understand. John, thank yes. you. And I, and I appreciate you saying that. Please do encourage your listeners to support us. We have our Freedom Twenty Five campaign. Uh, you know, just go on the website if we're asking people if if you can't donate much, consider donating. You know, twenty five dollars a month to our uh, Freedom Twenty Five campaign, and uh, just make that commitment and help us because the, yeah, trust the me, Hagman the, report legal, will legal bills are huge. <laughs> the, I'll tell you what, we know that personally and intimately. The Hagman report will stand behind you. We'll be a part of that program. I guarantee you. Hey, others follow John. John Guandalo, thank you so much. We're up against the break. Yes, network break. All right. Bless you. Bless you. Bye-bye. This is the Hagman Report for today. It's Friday, June 1st, 2018. You know, there is a war on. It's an information war, but it's a cage match, among other things. It's not a war in a boxing ring. It's not a, it's not a, a, a play-by-the-rules war. It's a war where there are no rules. It's a street fight. I don't know how else to describe it. And, and there are many facets to it. You've got, you've got the uh, Democratic Socialists. You've got the Democratic Socialists. Who are attempting to take down the republic by in a number of means, a number of ways, and of course, with a democratic socialist, really nothing but Marxist, communist, whatever you want to call them. But that's what they are. They could have a D after their name, but really, the ideology is, of course, the the Marxist ideology. Then they're joined up hand in hand with the Muslim, the Islamic terrorists, or, or Islam. Period. Uh, where we had John Gondwala last segment, understandingthethreat.com, explaining and fighting against this. And this is important. Uh, John Gondwala won't necessarily tell you the 
stuff that he takes. I mean, the, the, the shots that he takes constantly, 24-7. It's always a fight because people are attempting to silence John Guandalo and people like him, Robert Spencer, Pam Geller, and anyone who speaks out against the threat of Islam and, and the threat of Sharia. Hashtag, really simple, hashtag Sharia kills. Have you seen that trending on, on Twitter? I don't think so. But it's a hashtag uh, that uh, Sharia kills. Hashtag Sharia kills on um, understanding the threat, folks. I would urge you to go to understanding the threat and become part of their part of their support system because right now John Guandalo, understanding the threat, the entire platform of people attempting to tell the truth about Islam, the threat of Islam, the threat of Sharia in this country, we are under attack individually and collectively. Because I guarantee you, after today's show, I just, I can tell you, I guarantee you, okay, there will be hell to pay for us for a while. Because, I mean, we'll be called uh, Islamophobics. There will be a campaign, uh, a newsletter campaign through the, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. We have intelligence assets, investigative assets, I won't use the word intelligence, investigative assets, inside the groups that receive electronic communications care for example and other such organizations we see what they're doing we see uh without giving too much away and we have regular meetings the investigative staff regular meetings about about this and we see our name come up and we 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 see the the uh move movements to ban us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, to contact our sponsors, to harass our guests. John Guandalo, a hundred times that. I can tell you that. And of course, he's out there training his, his, um, uh, bona fides as a former FBI agent. And he's not a, the right wing watch, Peter Montgomery. Talk about this incendiary language. I just want to quote this because this, this is how, uh, this is one method as to how they, they, uh, discredit the truth tellers. All right. Uh, okay. Let me read this. Uh, this by Peter Montgomery, right wing watch. All right. Peter Montgomery. After, uh, uh, let's see here. John Guandalo. They don't even have the courtesy of using his first name. Guandalo is a disgraced former FBI agent who found a career as a right-wing activist and anti-Muslim speaker. How can you be anti-Muslim when you're just saying, when you're repeating what they are teaching? It's not anti-anything. It's the fact. But see, you've got groups like Right Wing Watch, you've got groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center who classify us and John and others as hate mongers, hate speech purveyors, entities that purvey hate speech, anti-Muslim hate groups. It's all about hate. But now, just to tie this up, because I don't want to take any, any more time from our next guest, we are speaking the truth, talking about the threat. Understandingthethreat.com is John's, is John's group. Hagmanreport.com is our group. But, but, the, but the fact is, there is this, this, this absolute gloves-off attempt to shut us down, to shut John down. So I, I guess the only thing I, I have left to say is please support John, support understandingofthreat.com, support people like Robert Spencer, help us get the word out that Sharia is not okay. Those, those stupid coexist bumper stickers, 
Okay, anyone who's got one of those, you got to have your head examined, in my view. Okay, what, what, what numbskull can can actually believe that you can worship Allah and worship Jesus Christ? It's just ridiculous. You can't. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm passionate about this because our country's in the balance, our our future's in the balance. In fact, our present is in the balance. Do we, do we have a problem here? No, we uh Bill came on via Skype, and there were some problems, so now we're just going to bring him on by phone. All right. Uh, All right. But he was with us, and he'll be with us back in just a second. All right. Sorry about that. A lot yeah, of, a lot of chalk talk behind the scenes here. Yeah, I just said, all right. So, but having said all of that, um, and, and, and the, the, the fight, here's, here's the deal, folks. You, you can frag us if that's what you want to do. If you want to sit there and if you want to, uh, have a website or have a web presence and do nothing but frag the friendlies, frag the people who are attempting to get the truth out there, that's fine. If, if, if that's your life's calling, I feel sorry for you. You're, you're, you're pitiful hags. Alright, you're, you're pitiful, uh, you're just pitiful. Join the fight. Get in the fight. Because our, the, the future of our, of our nation hangs in the balance. And it's your children who will have to live under this tyranny, under the tyranny of Sharia. It's your children and, and their children. And if that's, if you're okay leaving that to them, and if you want your legacy to be nothing but fragging the, the people who are trying to expose this rot, no. I guess uh I guess you've drawn the the lines, your battle lines. Yeah. But 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 don't expect us to get behind you. We're gonna be we're gonna be in your face. Because yeah. again, this is a street fight. There are no no rules on this anymore. That's right. And uh it's amazing how far the uh Islamic agenda has been able to penetrate and infiltrate our society from the entertainment industry to politics and on and on and on. And there is no doubt that it is a, a religion, a, a movement of conquest, and that's their ultimate objective. While we're waiting for Bill Salas, I want to bring the... Okay, we do have Bill? All right. Uh, Bill Salas, a great friend of the show, prophecydepot.com is the website, the author of many books. We had him on not too long ago talking about uh, a number of things, specifically the moving of Israel, uh, or the moving of the... Uh, embassy, embassy yep. to Jerusalem, recognizing the capital as Jerusalem for the first time in 70 years. On the 70-year anniversary of the uh, Israel being founded as a nation again. And, Bill, it's great to have you back on. We've seen a uh, real slowdown, I guess, which is a good thing, in the violence over there. But uh, still a lot to talk about. Great to have you back. It's great to be back on the program, and uh, we uh, you never know things can change from day to day, the way things shift and over there in the Middle East. You know, the, uh, they forced the border issue when the embassy was uh, relocated on May 14th in commemoration of the 70th anniversary. 40,000 protesters, 60 dead, 50 of them turned out to be Hamas terrorists. And then shortly after that, you, know, you have over 100-some-odd missiles coming in just a few days later into Israel. And Israel comes back and strikes some strategic targets. Meanwhile, Iran, Hezbollah, and Syria start moving toward the Golan Heights, while Hamas is, you know, doing their little distraction over to the in the Gaza area. So, yeah, there's a little calm before the storm right now, but it looks like, you know, you just you can't sit too still too long anymore in the Middle East. And Bill, uh, you wrote an article 
Are Islam's best days behind it? Is Allah about to lose his Akbar? Uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the last words to leave an Islamic terrorist lips is Allah Akbar. The definition of the words is Allah, God, is the greatest or greater. Uh, let's get into this a little bit. Yeah, well, that's true, and I personally think uh, Islam's best days are behind it. Allah is going to lose his Akbar through a series of events. We have biblical prophecies to talk about that. Matter of fact, Zephaniah 2, verse 11 is a real pivotal vo uh, verse that says, The Lord will be awesome to them, and we'll talk about who them are as we go and talk about some of these Muslim-related biblical prophecies, the time permitting. The Lord will be awesome to them, and he's referring in context to Israel and a war with Jordan. For he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, meaning, you know, Jehovah, each one from his place, indeed, all the shores of the nation. So obviously this hasn't happened yet, and so the the question is, well, when when and how does Allah lose his Akbar? And uh, so I kind of humor with that, he's going to lose his Akbar, but, you know, already... Many Muslims are converting to Christianity. Many Muslims are disenchanted about the promises of Islam. They can't understand how come the God, Allah, of the Muslims can't seem to get rid of Israel. You know, the wars of 48, 67, and 73. How come that little tiny Jewish state always prevails? Um, how come they keep taking a, a licking? So it's, uh, yeah, this is an interesting thing. And, you know, some people try to suggest that Allah and of the Islamic holy book, the Quran, and Jehovah of the Bible are the same God, and that's not a correct assessment either. So there's lots of confusions, and uh, and so we'll, you know a lot of people think Islam is here to stay. It's going to subjugate the planet. It's going to uh, there'll be a Muslim Antichrist, Joe Richardson would say, and that. But I I I say I don't think so. I think its best days are behind it. Okay, um, some suggest that Allah. The God of the Islamic holy book called the Quran and Jehovah, the God of the Bible, are the and are are the same God. Is this correct? Um, absolutely not. Um, you know, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, uh, he predates any kind of worship of Allah. Allah really is is was a moon god, and in the pre-Islamic times, at the time that in the seventh century when Islam was invented. Uh, there were roughly about 360 idols of the Kaaba, you know, the big black stone they've got over there in Mecca, and uh, the moon god was the most venerated. So, you know, the, Allah is technically the moon god they took out of, of, of that whole menu of false gods, but that was in the seventh century. Jehovah, of course, created the universe, so he's the god of the universe. He's not just limited to being a moon god, but his worship goes back to the time of Adam, six thousand years ago, at the Genesis creation story. You got. Noah 5,000 years ago, uh, Abraham 4,000 years ago, etc. But, the, you know, there's some real big differences when you talk about um, the Quran, their holy book versus the Bible. We can have a couple comparisons there. Islam rejects the deity of Christ. You know, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He has a son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And there's they call them surahs, surah 517. They flat out reject the deity of Jesus Christ. And another surah, surah 4, verses 157 through 158, Islam rejects his death on the cross. You know, he paid his price, he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and they reject his death on the cross. And they even deny the Trinity, which is a cornerstone thing for Christianity, um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So surah 4, 171 says, So believe in Allah and his apostles, 
say not Trinity, desist. It would better be better for you, for Allah is one. Glory be to him. Far exalted is he above having a son. He's, you know, so he's so exalted he couldn't even have an only begotten son. And that's, you know, goes against the, the John 10.30, which says, then I and the Father are one. So, you know, there's, there's just a few of the differences right there. But, uh, no, they are not the same God. You know, Bill, it, it just astounds me, because... Ever since 9-11, and look, before 9-11, you had uh, just all kinds of stuff happen, the hijacking or the <clears throat> terrorist events. I mean, I could take, you know, name them, take them off, but um, it, it, people get the idea. And after 9-11, of course, the, the, that big event attributed to the 19 uh, Islamic terrorists, of course, um, you had uh, George Bush come out and say, you know, we all – Worship the same God, and the Islam is hijacked and stuff. We just had John Guandalo on the last segment, and it's interesting because the the, the more the people like John Guandalo, the people like you and others uh, attempt to speak the truth about really about hey, we don't worship the same God. Islam and Christianity do not worship the same God. The the bigger the greater the pushback, and, and this seems to be like. To me, it's so simple. It's, it, it, but w- where's the disconnect, or is it just an out, out and outright, uh, or outright um, deception that's being pushed upon the American people in the West, for that matter? Yeah, deception, um, and within a, a you know liberalizing church also is concerning. You know, there's this thing called Islam, where they're trying to connect Christianity and Islam at the hip, trying to find common den- denominators and ecumenical push. You know, the bottom line is Islam suffers from no religious toleration. It's an intolerant religion. It's not an ecumenical movement. Islam means submission or surrender, but, you know, submit or surrender to what? To Allah's absolute authority is what the thing is. With Islam, that's the, the whole modus operandi of that religion. So there's no way it can, uh, you know, be ecumenical or be connected with any other type of religion. It wouldn't even want to. Matter of fact, if you talk about, talk to the Islamic fundamentalists, who don't like the Jews and don't like the Christians, uh, they'll say absolutely, you know, that there are different religions, different gods, etc. Um, so, you know, basically at this point, uh, their goal is to subrogate the planet to submit or surrender to Allah's absolute authority. And they'll, they'll try it peacefully at first, but if it doesn't work, they they will forcefully, ultimately, try to get everyone to be a Muslim. And so, the, you know, this is the, people, the thing people need to realize. We cannot... We cannot connect uh, an, an ecumenical embrace with the Islamic religion. That's not even in their tenets. Got it. All right. Bill Salas is our guest. ProphecyDepot.com is his website, at ProphecyDepot on Twitter. Again, Bill Salas, ProphecyDepot.com, at ProphecyDepot. Get educated. Uh, of course, uh, Bill is a good friend of the program, a great speaker, author, incredible, uh, incredible speaker, by the way. And of uh, equally incredible, uh, uh, great writer, Joe. I know you you had something you wanted. To, uh, I didn't want to overtalk you there. So yeah, well, Bill, I know we want to talk about the uh, the the hostility between the Islamists and the Jews and Christians. But I want to ask you this first: there are the two sects of of Islam. You you have uh, the divisions. You have the Iranians and you have the Saudi Arabians, and the two different sects that they. Uh, represent are we going to see Islam going at a war with itself uh, before we see it taking on these other nations, these uh, you know, and the West, 
or are they going to unify in the future, do you think? Well, we have been seeing a war against each other, generally speaking, and it's, uh, you know, the Sunnis versus the Shiites. Matter of fact, the Shiites, uh, roughly about 20% of the globe would be, you know, Islam would be Shiite. Predominantly the rest of it, about 80% of Islam is Sunni. So you got Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Jordan, these would be Sunnis. But the Shias are coming through Iran with Hezbollah and Bashar al-Assad. And, you know, the, the, the Shiites are trying to have their caliphate, and they're trying to spread their tentacles throughout the Middle East. Iran is through their proxies, the Houthis, the Hezbollah, like I said, Bashar al-Assad, they've got control of quite a bit of Iraq as well. And this is panicking the Sunnis, especially Saudi Arabia, who is, you know, buddying up with Israel, uh, you know, trying to get Israel to go to take Iran to ta- task, etc. And so you've got this going on. So, you know, they're hostile toward Jews and Christians, and that's inherent in their religion. I can quote you what their hadiths, you know, their commentaries to the Quran say. I can quote you uh, some surahs about that in their Quran. But they're also hostile toward each other. And there's an interesting prophecy that I look at, and it appears to be playing itself out in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. And this is when Ishmael's mother, Hagar, uh, she was concerned that, you know, he was not going to be the child of promise. You know, Abraham was the father. It turned out to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Ishmael was Abraham's first son, and she wanted him to be a great nation. So she, she departed from Abraham, and Abraham's wife, Sarah, goes out in the wilderness, meets with the angel of the Lord. He gives her a prophecy and says he will be, uh, you know, have a great nation, father of a great nation. So that was music to her ears. But then he says this in Genesis 16, verse 12. He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every every man's, and every man's against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And, you know, he's, he's sort of called the father of the Arabs. So he's got lineage going out through so many parts of that Middle East. And what do we see? Um, he's a wild man. Uh, some translations, you know, a wild ass, it says. Um, and they're fighting each other. And they have been fighting each other throughout time. They've killed more Arabs and Muslims have killed each other than they have, than they've killed Jews. But, uh, you know, I find it interesting. So, but you know what? The thing they have a common denominator of in their religion is they don't want, they hate the Jews. So if it came pushed, came to shove, they would unite to hate the Jews. Um, so right now you've got, uh, Surah 551 says this in the Quran. It says, um, O you who have attained to faith, do not take the Jews and the Christians for your allies. They are but allies of one another, and whoever of you allies himself with them becomes verily one of them. Behold, God does not guide people who are unjust. That's in the Quran, but it's more harsh when you look at like the Hadiths, which are their commentaries. And it says, in one of the Hadiths, it says, because uh, they, you know, they have a judgment day in their eschatology as well, and, and the Prophet Muhammad uh, has promised, Allah, Allah has promised, he said, Allah has promised us that the Jews will gather in Palestine and that the Muslims will fight them and totally kill them. Even the stone and the tree will say, Oh, Muslims, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. So, you know, this is, this is when you see an Islamic fundamentalist who hates the Jews, and shouts Allah Akbar when they go in to do a suicide bombing or something like this, this is inherent in their Hadiths and in their Quran, the, the hatred of the Jews. And it goes way back to ancient times. Historically, it's rooted in an ancient hatred of the Jews that goes back to the time of the patriarchs. Abraham, you know, he had, I said, Isaac and Jacob. Well, there was an unconditional covenant. Matter of fact, 
Um, I write this in one of my books. It says this, The present hostilities experienced in the Middle East between the Arabs and the Jews can be traced to a disposition of hatred originating almost 4,000 years ago. At that time, the Lord made an unconditional covenant with the Hebrew patriarch Abraham. And due to the blessing, as we call that the Abrahamic covenant, due to the blessings contained within this covenant, the famous Bible characters, Hagar, Ishmael, Esau, Moab, Ammon, and Amalek, who were you know, all family relatives back then, coveted this rich contents of this covenant. And these jealous individuals and their descendants hated the Hebrews, who were the heirs of this covenant. Throughout time, the neighboring Gentile populations embraced this hatred. It's called an ancient hatred in the in the Bible. And so what we see in the jihad is it is often labeled presently underway in the Middle East, finds its justification in Islam, but its roots in this long-standing hatred. And the Hebrew words that we've got to look at here that is still uh, existing that are used in a couple of scriptures in the Bible about this ancient hatred of the Jews, of the Arabs, which now goes into Islam, are olam and what it means in Hebrew is a condition of hatred stemming back long ago in ancient times that became more violent as time went on, and it's a hatred that will not end. It's cancerous, and you cannot negotiate with it. And Ezekiel 35.5, if, if the audience is interested in that, talks about this ancient hatred stemming back to the, the Edomites, which are our descendants in the Palestinians today. It never went away. And uh, Also, it, it, it's in Ezekiel 25.15, dealing with the Philistines, who would, that was the Gaza, so perhaps descendants of the and Hamas as well today. So we see this is living out today, these family feuds that went through as these guys coveted the rich contents of the Abrahamic covenant, and, and Satan threw it into the religion of Islam, because when the Jews were out into the nations of the world, from 70 AD to 1940 AD, Islam in that 7th century, in the middle of that diaspora, or early on in that diaspora, uh, Islam was invented. And what it did was it, it took all that ancient hatred and we turn it into a religion of a sword that's violent against the Jewish and, and Jews and the Christians. So, I mean, that's really the underlying spiritual battle going on beyond that. So, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's not going away. You, you know, it, it's amazing to me that, that uh, the answers to today's issues really can be found by studying the Bible. If, if you know the, the Old Testament, well, if you know, if you know the Bible, uh, if you know, the, if you understand the uh, relevant passages, scriptures, you can understand why things are happening the way they're happening today. And, and that's, we could, we could teach and we do teach about what Islam is today and, and what it's doing, but understanding the entire picture is critical to me, at least in my view. And, and you, and you so eloquently, uh, really paint this picture through your writings and through your research and, and, tie everything together so i appreciate that um you know it's just it's amazing but but again going back to your uh premise you believe at this point and i i find it very interesting that islam's essentially islam's best days are are behind there uh behind it um okay so what does the future hold then for islam and for its false god allah and for the followers of the false god, God Allah, in the big, bigger picture of things. Right. And so, you know, let's, not only did we get a good, good historical understanding, and did we glean a good historical understanding from the Bible, we look back at those stories in Genesis and that hatred that was developed through the matriarchs, uh, Sarah versus Hagar, and that's in Genesis 16 and 21. The, the sons had their feuds, Isaac versus Ishmael. We talked about Ishmael, a wild man. Uh, the 
twin brothers, Jacob, had a twin brother, Esau. Jacob was later called Israel in uh, Genesis thirty-two twenty-eight. Esau fathered the Edomites in Genesis 36. So, you know, we follow the history, and I'm going to talk about the future in just a moment, because we have a book. The Bible is a book of history, but also a book of prophecy. And if we're going to try to figure out what the future is, uh, only God makes the claim in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, that he is God, there is no other. He is God, there is none like him. And he, he lays the gauntlet out to prove this by saying, declaring the end from the beginning, things that have not yet come. So he's saying he knows the future, and that's what separates him from every other false god. He is the genuine article. So, you know, we, we looked at that went through the cousins hated each other, the Israelites and the Ammonites and the Moabites. So, you know, Jacob and Esau, you have the Israelites versus Esau, they got ethnical representation in the Palestinians today. The Israelites versus the Ammonites and the Moabites, the cousins. Well, the Ammonites and the Moabites have a descendantry into Jordan today. Ammon would be northern Jordan, Moab would be central. The great grandkids got into the feud, the Hebrews versus the Amalekites. Um, in my Psalm 83 book and DVD, I actually put all the scriptures and all the, the cross town, you know, the coveting of the contents and the feuds and all this sort of stuff in there. So I'm not going to give you know, all the verses and all that right now, but that's in, in the Psalm 83 book and DVD. But now, so we, we see how we got to where we're at, but what does the future hold now that Islam is in the picture? embracing all that hatred and all those family feuds now onto their descendants. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. There are Muslim wars coming. Um, Psalm 83 is dealing with the, in my estimation, including Arab-Israeli conflict. You've also got Ezekiel 38. I believe these are two distinctly different Muslim wars of the end times. Ezekiel 38 tells us it's a latter days event. Psalm 83 hasn't found final fulfillment yet by the true nature of all the details, so we, we realize, well, we're in, the, we're in the latter days. That also becomes a latter days event. I personally believe it precedes Ezekiel 38. So what we have here, I'm just going to basically talk about these two Muslim wars initially, because they will cripple Islam if they are about to happen, and I believe they are, and many of our colleagues also agree with that, especially Ezekiel 38. Uh, a lot of people are watching for that very closely. I personally put that next after Psalm 83. But Psalm 83, I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you guys. It's 18 verses, but it talks about the nations around Israel that share common borders with Israel that happen to come out of the loins of these ancient patriarchs, of, you know, Ishmael and Esau and the Ammonites and the Moabites and stuff like that. you got Lebanon, where you've got Hezbollah today. You've got Jordan. You've got uh, the Palestinians we talked about. You've got Hamas and the Gaza you got the Saudis and the Egyptians. There's some temporary peace treaties right now with Egypt and Israel and Jordan and Israel, but those really, in my estimation, are paper thin. And there's a lot of related prophecies that show Israel taking Jordan and Egypt to task. And, and in those prophecies, you don't see the peace treaty showing up anywhere. You see wars going on. So then these also remain unfulfilled. So what we have here is an Arab-Israeli conflict. There's the surrounding countries. You've got terrorist populations in them right now. And Israel is threatened by Hezbollah in Lebanon. They're threatened by Bashar al-Assad as a proxy of Iran right now. Uh, Hamas has been hitting the borders and lobbing missiles in there, etc. And it talks about them coming together in a, uh, one final attempt to try to destroy the Jewish state. Now, a lot of us believe this prophecy has been a process since the rebirth of Israel 70 years ago in 1948 through the wars of 48, 1967, 1973. And what happens is they want to wipe Israel off the map, but the name of Israel will be remembered no more. Those are ten populations listed by their ancient names that are going to be destroyed by Israel. This is what the Psalm 
psalmist says, he says, you know, deal with them, Lord, like you did with Gideon and the Midianites, and like you did with the Deborah at the time of the Canaanites. He takes us to the book of Judges. And, and in those battles, the Lord empowered the Israeli defense forces. I mean, Gideon only had 300 men, and he defeated 120,000 enemies, you know, with with an amazing, miraculous story. So what happens is they get defeated. Now, when they get defeated, the the goal of the the Asaph, the psalmist, is saying is that they can never oppress us again. So they'll be done. They'll be, the ancient hatred will be done. They will no longer be oppressing the Jews anymore. That's 10 Muslim populations. Now, right now, there's about 1.6 to 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. Now, within these two wars we're talking about, Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, and I'll come to that in just a second, you get about 600 million Muslims that are going to be either killed, captured, and or sent into exile. And they are definitely going to be questioning Allah's Akbar. What just happened? How come we couldn't defeat that little Jewish state? So I believe that Psalm 83 becomes a punch to the gut of Islam. And then that, I believe, is followed by another relatively, you know, mostly a Muslim war in Ezekiel 38, entirely different populations. Russia's involved. They're the only one in the, in the nine populations mentioned that aren't Muslim. I mean, for the most part, there's Muslims in Russia, but they're not predominantly a Muslim country. But the other countries are Iran, Turkey, Libya, some of the North African countries like maybe Tunisia and Morocco, uh, the Sudan perhaps, some of the breakaway Kazakhstan, the uh, southern steps of Russia, some of the breakaway Soviet republics, they're going to come against Israel too, and they're going to get, take a shellacking. Not by the Israeli Defense Forces. That prophecy in Ezekiel 38 is dealing with supernatural intervention. The Lord does an earthquake, fire, hailstone, and brimstone, and just lays them out in their tracks. And Israel goes and buries the dead for uh, seven months. They convert the weapons into fuel for seven years. But you got major Muslim populations between the two wars are going to be done. And I believe that's a, a uppercut to the jaw for Islam. And so, by the, and I believe these are both wars that will be happening before the tribulation period. So that by the time that final seven years of tribulation happens, the central theme of the Bible, the tribulation period, um, I think Islam is going to be knocked down for the count. And these are just a few of the Muslim-related prophecies I'm talking about. There's, there's many more. So that's that's my take on it. Now, there's people who would disagree with me. You know, Joe Richardson believes Islam is going to be vibrant. He he doesn't put these wars in the same places I do, and there are others. But uh, in my research, this is where I find them, guys. Well, Bill, let me ask you this, and, and I don't know that we uh, know the answer to this uh, with certainty, but just uh, something I read in a comment section somewhere else. Do you see the religion of Islam being destroyed because they won't accept the Antichrist? Or do you think that the Antichrist will be part of the Islamic system? Well, I don't believe in a Muslim Antichrist. That's something that's been put forward, you know, over the last uh, few decades. kind of came out with God's War on Terror with Wally Chubot and Joel Richardson. Predominantly, that's when it's got its main wind. Um, The Antichrist is uh, a very key player of the end times. And he confirms a covenant with Israel that you know, guarantees their security. They're concerned about something going on in the world. So they need a covenant to they feel to insulate themselves from what they call it's called an overflowing scourge in Isaiah chapter 28, whatever that represents. And I write about what I believe that represents in my Apocalypse Road book. But, you know, some of the arguments are, you know, from the Antichrist perspective, no Jew would ever uh, allow a Muslim to confirm a covenant that's going to secure, you know, for their security confirm it um, and then there's if, if and if he was 
um, um, if he was a Muslim, when he goes in to abominate the temple, we find out he goes in and does that. Matthew 24, Jesus tells us about it. We pick it up also, I believe, it's Daniel 11. Um, and he then starts to declare himself above all that's called God. And you can't do that if you're a Muslim. It's, you know, the, you, you, there'd be a fatwa out against you because, you know, Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. You know, th- th- thank you, Bill, for, for, for this because I have a real hard time given the description, the biblical description, if that's the proper terminology, and excuse me if it's not, of the Antichrist, um, I have a hard time ascribing a Islamic, uh, uh, I have a hard time, f- I, I don't believe the Antichrist personage to be Islamic. I just, I, I can't. Now, um, because again, the worship factor and everything you mentioned. So thank you for that. Because, yeah. and I'm looking more, Bill, tell me if you've looked at it this way. And feel free to say, no, I haven't looked at it or whatever. Or the, tell me I'm off base. I'm looking at it from a lineage point of view too. A biblical lineage point of view where, where they, the Antichrist could be held up to say, see, this is your savior, the, 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 the lineage of Jesus Christ, if you will. And I know, I know what that sounds like. <laughs> but is that, am, am I on target or am I off base or is that something you, you don't, I'm not even sure how to, or, or how to articulate the question properly. Um, the lineage, I suppose, of the Antichrist. Anything? I think we did. Either that or he's not talking to me. <laughs> Which I don't blame him for saying that. I'm not going to answer that question. So we, we, I'm not even going to respond to you. Yeah. In fact, goodbye. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, Bill Salas is our guest, um, I think, after that question. I think, no, he is. Uh, he is, yeah. and he'll be back. Maybe his phone died or, or got cut off or something, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just, I just I have a hard time with with the Islamic Antichrist idea, yeah. you know. Uh, again, a lot of people, given do. the worship, uh, uh, and this is something we have to think about. And if you don't look, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in any of this, then go watch Samantha B or, or something else. I don't care. No, not that. Or, or whatever you're. But but I'm looking at this. Here we are. Look how late in the day it is. Look how late it is. And look at all of the things that are happening. Again, you know, 70 years, Israel and nation, mm-hmm. moving the embassy. These are things that, hey, you better start looking at this from a biblical point of view as well as a political point of view. But no one's, not too many people are doing that. Even in the new honest media, the alternate, alternative media, no way, yeah, people aren't doing it that much. Or if they are, it's, it's, wow. Many are perverting the the scriptures, but, but but I'm just looking at this. I'm thinking, man, well, I can't get on board with this with the Islamic Antichrist. You know, there's a lot of prophecies, as Bill said, that deal with Islam and uh, you know the the end times, and and many people have other uh, interpretations of of uh, you know what the what the scripture says. But just to reiterate what Bill Salas said, the some of the the scriptures pertaining in the Old Testament pertaining to Islam in the end times uh, Ezekiel 35 verses 6 through 7 and verse 15 
you have Ezekiel 38, as uh, Bill mentioned. He actually wrote a whole book on, on Ezekiel 38. And the uh, deals with Libya. Daniel also deals with Middle Eastern countries that yeah. will fall in yeah. the end times. Uh, Libya, Egypt, and Ethiopia would be at its doorstep. And then pe- some people will tie in, will try to tie into uh, Revelation, the Islamic component in the end times. But that would indicate that the one world system of religion was, would be Islamic, which is, is what, uh, meaning an Islamic Antichrist as well, which Bill and many other uh, theologians we have back. Uh, disagree yeah. with completely. You might, you might, you might say, you might. No, I know he was. Ex- I know he was uh, looking forward to this interview. So okay, he might he, be having he, some despite, kind of trouble in spite of me or what? Maybe the power went out. Maybe. Uh, no, it's it's All right, so I, that makes me feel better. All right, but see, okay, too, the the descriptions, uh, the end times descriptions as well. You know, the beheadings and stuff. I, I understand all that, but. Um, I, yeah, that, that's the one description that matches at least with uh, Islamic tradition is, you know, the beheading yeah, yeah. of their enemies. And scripture in Revelation says that, you know, we will be, uh, those Christians who are martyred will be beheaded and that will be brought back in the end times uh, specifically. But that doesn't mean that it has to be Islam that, that uses it. And we've even seen stories uh, like in Georgia where they said, you know, hundreds or thousands of guillotines have been ordered in Georgia back in uh, the early 2010, 2011 Time period. You know, how do you verify that, though? I mean, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I kind of like the 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 phrase. Well, pictures or it doesn't exist. Well, wait a second. <laughs> first, for, first of all, you, you think? I don't think. Um, in terms of getting pictures, come on now. Okay, seriously. Uh, I can see all this happening in secret. I could. I I see that, and I'm not. I'm not one to. I don't know, but all of this together. I mean, what Bill was saying too about about the uh, the Antichrist. I, uh, the Antichrist and a Cup of Tea is a book that I read, and, and it, it delves into the lineage of the Antichrist. It, it's you know, it may not be your cup of tea, but it's it, it at least explores the um, lineage of the Antichrist. And this is something I think that we, that we should be talking about. And some people would would push this off into the fringe. Category, yeah. but okay. Well, while we're waiting for, oh, oh he's back. See, Bill, I, I really thought that you just hung up and decided to take leave, and you know, enough of Doug. I, he's crazy. <laughs> um, but well, no, uh, listen, let me apologize, guys. I, I was on an interview with, with you a couple weeks ago, and we, I kept losing you because my phone and my Skype and my internet are all connected to the Spectrum service. And I was so furious. I called them out. They came the next day. They gave me a new modem. They hooked me up with the, uh, uh, you know, the Ethernet cord. You know, I got the phone going. They said it'll never happen again. And <laughs> the minute I'm trying to talk to you guys on Skype, before it even starts, it turns off, and then the phone just went off. So we're on my cell right now. Okay. But uh, I, I'm so sorry. I mean, no, no I'm, I'm in Palm Desert. We should have this kind of thing worked out. This is not, you know, Timbuktu out nowhere. I just can't believe this. But anyway, what I was saying when I got cut off about the Antichrist is, is Daniel 9.26 says that he comes out of the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary. That's the Roman Empire. 70 AD, the city was Jerusalem. The sanctuary mm-hmm. was the second Jewish temple. So, you know, we would say he's going to be of European descent is what most of us you know, traditional guys would be teaching. Yeah, I, and I agree with that uh, for a lot of reasons. So, th- th- thanks for entertaining my question, entertaining my question on that, or, or my uh, my own observations. I just, 
I just I agree with your assessment on this, and I'll tell you what people need to be. I think in this day, as we we approach this late hour, people need to be looking at this. And and Bill, you uh, wrote about in your book the prophecies of Alam, the huge increase in Iranians who had been converting to Christianity. Uh, why are the mul- multitudes of Muslims now converting to Christianity all across the Middle East? Well, this is another incredible phenomenon. You know, there, well, so we'll talk about Iran. They've got some specific geopolitical reasons too, but, and supernatural reasons. But, um, you know, like we said, the, a lot of the Muslims are becoming very disenchanted with Islam. It's let them down, especially when it comes to Iran, for instance. Um, you know, the, the Ayatollah, the revolution in 1979 came over. Um, that was almost 40 years ago. Not quite, but almost 40 years ago. And about 80% of the Iranians today are under 35 years old. So what happened is they were born into into the revolution, into the Islamic regime, and immediately they're watching a eight-year war going on between Iraq and Iran, or of attrition. Uh, they're looking at all kinds of other problems with this radical regime. They tried to revolt and protest, and they keep getting suppressed. So they're very disenchanted, and now they're very concerned that they're going to be involved in a major war, and that we try to warn them, and I've been on TV shows going into Iran, satellite TV with Iran Alive, we try to warn them about this prophecy you mentioned about Elam. That's where the hugs the Persian Gulf is part of modern-day Iran. You've got Persia and, and Elam. These are two ancient territories that are today on a map, modern-day Iran. And it talks about a time when it sounds like there'll be a nuclear disaster in this area, Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39. And like you said, I wrote a book called Nuclear Showdown in Iran. But the interesting thing in that prophecy, the last two verses, talks about the Lord would set his throne in Elam, in, in Iran, Elam and is Iran, and that after this disaster, there'll be exiles and things, that he's going to restore them back to their area, to their fortunes, he's bring back the captives, the settlers were encouraging to a lot of the Iranians. So they're actually at this point, Comforted by that prophecy, those last two verses, uh, there's, but they're also they're so disenchanted with Islam that they're ready to learn about Christianity. And as they start to learn about Christianity, uh, God gets involved. He supernaturally evangelizes. He gets into places where the missionaries can't even get into, and he, he's, they're having dreams, miracles, visions, healings, divine encounters. There's even stories where people say, you know, Christ came to them. I, I'll give you one quick story. Uh, Friend of mine named Mansoor is a uh, is charged, sort of in charge of about three thousand pastors of the underground church, and, and you know, they, and they're very super, uh, uh, sort of suppressed over there. Uh, persecuted is what I'm looking for, and you know, they shut down all the home churches. Uh, they're throwing all the pastors in prison and beating them to a pulp. Uh, even if you're a Christian there, you know, you're going to get thrown in jail more than likely, and also be beaten up pretty bad. But anyway. He tells a story about a man at southern, the southern border area of Iran, which is down by Afghanistan, which is where a lot of drugs are coming through there. And, and Iran is one of the major countries that's, you know, a, a drug, that has a serious drug problem. And he said he went down, he heard about this man who had a, a supernatural encounter and a great story. So he went down and on this road and this, you know, drug, drug traffic road and he gets to this guy's house, a very impoverished individual. And that's another thing about Iran. You're either real rich or you're extremely poor. There's not a lot of middle class. And he sees this guy, 
the guy says, I, he says, I come down to talk to you about this story you've got about the stranger that came to your house. And he goes, oh, yeah, it was incredible. So he says, well, tell me the story. So he invites Monsoor in. Uh, I think it's, you know, there's no electricity. They're by candlelight on a dirt floor. And he says, um, well, the stranger knocked on my door one night, and his countenance was such that I couldn't really even look at him. And he, he asked if he could come in. He wanted to have me write some things down. He would talk, and I would translate. So the stranger starts talking, and this man is writing it down word for word. And he falls asleep, and this process goes on for a few times, a few nights. And then ultimately, the, the, the writing is all done. And so uh, Mansoor says to the man, he goes, well, what did the stranger have you write? So the guy goes and gets his notebook, brings it out, and it's the entire book, Gospel Book of John, written word for word verbatim. And so the guy says to Mansoor, he goes, well, what does it mean to be, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, which is John 14, 6. And Mansoor actually led the guy to believe in Jesus Christ as a Savior through this encounter, through this writings of the book of John. And this is just one of the many stories you hear about over there, uh, healings that take place, like I said, dreams and visions. So, um, you know, I tell people, look, Jesus Christ went to see this man who, I'm not even sure, and I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, if he even had a full set of teeth. I mean, it wasn't anybody, you know, wasn't a special person with a lot of wealth or anything. He just went to this guy who he loved. And it tells us how much Jesus loves everyone in the world. He would actually go to an impoverished individual uh, and that sort of thing. So I, I use it as an encouragement to people. But this is what's going on over there, and it's happening on a wide scale, even in Syrian refugee camps and things like that. Bill, uh, we we that's very fascinating too, and and also very uh, hopeful for you know the uh, Middle Eastern Muslims to uh, be converting to Christianity to see the signs, the miracles, the healings. Uh, you know that will truly speak and, and further the conversions of of Islamic uh, people to Christianity. We got a question from somebody in our audience, and they wanted to know. Um, they say, ask Bill about the Islamization of Europe and how it fits in with Scripture and prophecy. Well, it's definitely being Islamicized. Um, France is just probably the number one country filled them, and the UK has gotten going over there as well. There's a the mayor of London is is a Muslim. Um, so it's definitely happening. Of course, you hear of all the terrorism going on, and you've got a lot of Jews leaving and then France, you know, getting out of the area because of the terrorism that's been going on. Um, I'm not so sure how it fits into Scripture, per se, uh, other than the fact, like I say, I, I think it's on its, its last legs. I think when these wars happen, that I talked about earlier in the program of Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, and a lot of related peripheral prophecies that we find in other verses that I think are related to Psalm 83, um, those European Jews uh, and Jews all over Indonesia, you know, not in the Middle East, not affected by those wars, are going to really have to question their faith. And, and uh, you know, and, and at the time of the end times, you're going to have other religious options coming on. You're going to have a harlot world religion. Mankind has a double jeopardy in the end times when it comes to religion. Um, there's the harlot world religion that comes on the scene first. That's the mystery of Babylon in Revelation chapter 17. It's in cahoots with the Antichrist because it says this harlot sits on the beast, the, the Antichrist, and he carries her to her heights. That's in Revelation 17 verses 5 or 7, I think it is. So we've got this relationship between these two, and it's 
very powerful world religion. It'll be the time when the world is very vulnerable in the end times. And so the Harlow world religion comes on the scene and tries to uh, corral the craziness going on, the chaos going on in the world. Uh, there's wars going on in the end times. We find this in the, the book of Revelation and the sealed judgments, the second horseman of the apocalypse. Harlow world religion comes on the scene, but at a, at a, and it'll be, There'll be deception going on, we're told. Satan will be unrestrained. There'll be lying signs and wonders. And he's ultimately going to use those to prop up the lawless one, the Antichrist. And he'll have no restraint to do that. So people are going to be uh, persuaded into these religions. And and it won't be a popular choice to, to be a Christian at that point because you'll find it in the book of Revelation, all these people in the end times that become Christians are ending up dead. They're being martyred for their faith. You have fifth seal saints. It says the harlot's drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. The Antichrist, when he's on the scene after the harlot, is beheading people. We find out in Revelation 20. So, you know, we're talking about a really bad, hostile time, probably not too far down in the future. So what happens is, I I believe personally, the harlot world religion comes out of uh, Papal Rome, the Vatican, that's a, it's a great city. It talks about Revelation 17, verse 18. Uh, traditional people, many of us would say that's that's Rome. That's going to be involved with the harlot and the Vatican, uh, and they'll reach out. These these other stragglers, the Muslims that have been compromised after the wars, uh, you know, different religions, will be brought under the canopy of the harlot world religion. And then it says after the harlot world religion has overextended its usefulness that there'll be ten kings on the scene. The world will be apparently morph into a ten-division state. And these ten kings will work with the Antichrist and desolate the harlot. That's in Revelation 17, verse 16. At that point, then, the Antichrist steps into the superior role, the supreme leader, and he'll force everyone to worship him. Or you won't even be able to buy or sell. Uh, this will be with the false prophet and the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. You won't even be able to buy or sell, having an economic connection unless you take his mark upon your right hand or upon your forehead. And if you don't, you'll be beheaded in Revelation chapter 20. So um, I, I just think that the Islamization of Europe is, I don't know that it's in Scripture, I think that when Islam is compromised greatly, and I think it will be pretty soon, all of them lose Akbar, I think they're going to start to go where the other choices are, which would be the harlot world. Uh, you know, the Pope is already reaching out to all these different places at this point in time, so... Um, I think his ecumenical embrace is going to invite a lot of these religions into that canopy. That's that's one. A lot of people disagree with my my take on the Harlot World religion, but uh, a lot of the mainstream guys, you know, put it with Rome. Dr. David Reagan, uh, Ed Henson, the list goes on and on. You know, the Church Fathers, a lot of the Protestant reformers believed it was that. J. Vernon McGee, the list goes on. So, but you know, again, there's there's other people who disagree. So I always tell people, don't take my word for it. Read the other. The commentaries read the verses in the Bible and then make your own decisions. Now available on the site of Bill Salas, the DVD, Identity of Mystery Babylon, Mecca or Rome. And this, uh, I have not seen this yet, but stuff like this I find absolutely fascinating and, uh, am looking forward to watching it, Bill. And, uh, it looks like a great piece. If it's like anything like your books, then it's going to be a great piece. Uh, folks, follow Bill at Prophecy Depot on Twitter and go to, uh, his website, prophecydepot.com. Bill, we only got about three minutes left. Any closing thoughts? Anything you want to promote? Uh, go for it. 
Well, I want to tell you, I want to send you that DVD. I didn't know you didn't have it. So uh, when we hang up, we'll get your address and mail one for you and Doug. But um, that was an amazing oh, DVD because it was a three-hour discussion uh, slash debate with Joe Richardson, who believes that Islam is the harlot world religion and Mecca is the central city. And I argued the position of Rome as the central city and the Vatican uh, being the harlot. Uh, there's other candidate cities. Some people think it's New York City, that great city. And America. Uh, some people think it's rebuilt Babylon, literal Babylon in Iraq. Some people think it's Jerusalem. So we kind of get in and explain why, you know, he believes it's Mecca and I believe it's Rome, which is the more popular argument. So the great dis- discussion, debate, three hours of incredible research on both sides. But, uh, you know, listen, I just personally want to thank you for having me on your program. Um, apologize for the technical issues. <laughs> I'm no worries. Hey, hey, spectrum, but we're going to catch you on coast to coast this Sunday night, right? Oh, yeah, but now I'm going to have to do that on my cell phone because there's no way I can trust this phone. I'll tell you, it was very, very... I'm going to probably go find a studio or maybe my radio station. I'll just go inside of there where there I do go. still do some radio shows. Unbelievable. But hey, well, thanks again, guys, for your patience. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll be tuned in Sunday night uh, from on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. Uh, great job. Great. Thank you. And, and looking forward to that uh, debate um, Mystery Babylon. You're going to love that. So thank you very much. And we urge everyone to visit prophecydepot.com as well. And, uh, Thanks, support Bill. Appreciate right. it. Thanks, Bill. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. Um, we, are, we have Andrew Drapper coming up next. So, folks, if you remember, he's the host of the Red Pill Report out yes. of the U.K. And we got a lot of stuff to talk with him about the Islamization of the U.K., Tommy Robinson and what, what's going on with there and what's the sentiment over in the UK with, uh, you know, regular people. Um, but in the last minute, minute and a half we have in this segment, I want to bring your attention to an article that's up on Fox News. Pedophile can run for Congress thanks to Terry McAuliffe's decision to restoring felons' rights. An admitted pedophile and convicted felon who spent more than a year in prison for threatening to kill President George W. Bush is legally able to run for Congress in Virginia because of a 2016 decision by then-Gov Terry McAuliffe to restore voting rights to thousands of felons. Nathan Larson, 37, is running as an independent candidate in Virginia's 10th Congressional District. He has expressed pro-pedophilia and incest views in an interview with Huffington Post this week, called it normal for men to be attracted to underage women. Listen to what some of the stuff that he uh, has said in articles that he had written on the Huffington Post. He wrote so-called uh he wrote articles about so-called uh incels people who have struggled with being involuntarily celibate he also posted online uh about the advantages of father daughter incest okay this is look this is what happens and justifiable kidnapping yeah. rape you you've got McAuliffe, that idiot lifting restrictions of felons you got this guy who's an admitted pedophile uh, but 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 do you, do you see the larger problem about the moral de- oh, yeah. derogation here? Remember when they only wanted uh, uh, homosexual marriage no, to be legalized, that's and that's oh, yeah. as far as it's going to go? Oh yeah. Now transgender being accepted, oh, that's as far as it's going to go. No, no, we want it all. I'm not getting into the rest of this because we only have a few seconds left, and I'll be saved by the break. So when we come back, we're going to be talking with Andrew Drapper about a whole host of issues happening in the UK and in America. Anything he wants to comment on or talk about. Uh, it's going to be a great hour on our final hour on this Friday edition, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report, our third and final hour on this Friday, June 1st, 2018 edition. Hey, just a quick reminder, and not only to you guys in the audience, but to everybody here in the studio, this Sunday, what? first Sunday of the month, of course, means we have our Patreon broadcast. You know, it's so great to be uh, to be part of that. I, I look forward to that. I really do. I can't wait to hear John's input this Sunday. You know, but I gotta tell you, it's something when you're dealing with people, when you're talking with people who are of like mind and supportive and we're all a group together. It's like being, you know, sitting around a campfire or sitting around a kitchen table. It's that, um, it's like that. So thank you very much for this Sunday at the Patreon, um, uh, teleconference. And it's, it's a lot of fun. We, We really have a good time. We really do. Yeah. And I want to thank everyone. Well, we're waiting for uh, Andrew Drapper to come on of uh, the Red Pill Report, Red Pill Dot Report. I want to hit this story. This is uh, the kind of thing that just makes you scratch your head. In Portland, well, maybe not because it's in Portland, bakery fires employees for denying service to a black woman after they closed. In, Port- in Portland, two employees lost their jobs at a bakery for denying service to a black woman after closing time. The bakery, Back to Eden Bakery, issued several public apologies, one on Facebook posts, apologizing that uh, the baker co-wrote this apology, saying, We were doing business in a gentrified neighborhood in a racist city within a racist state of a racist country. The incident sounds all too familiar to the Starbucks situation, where a manager called the police on two black men who wanted to use the restroom and refused to buy something. Here's how ABC Local described the incident. In one statement, Back to Eden Bakery says that according to his own surveillance video, a black woman named Lillian, who is well known in the area as a professional equity activist, entered at 9.06 p.m. after the bakery's closing time. The employees turned off the open sign, but several customers who had already ordered were still inside waiting. So the Lillian came in and uh, was denied service and then complained. So what happened? The social justice warriors took to, uh, go, you know, inform this owner that they had to do something. So what did the owner do? They fired the two employees for following business protocol. You know, somebody, look, look I, I don't care. I know you look, 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 look at the sign. It says closed. I don't care if you're black, purple, white, yellow. It doesn't matter. We're closed. Can you read? We're closed. I'm sorry. It's simple. It's black and white. No pun intended, or right. maybe there was pun intended. But you know what the article says? Let's not make this about race. It for, goes on further. For crying out loud. What? Two white women went into the bakery two minutes before Lillian and were also informed that the business was closed for the night. Did they file a complaint? No, maybe. They did maybe not. You know what? You just stopped me because I'm white. Uh, are you, yeah, okay. I mean, it's just that's it's ridiculous. It's and this is the assault. You see, all we got to do, look, all we got to do. Is look over in Europe. Look at the UK. Look at what's going on over there. You want the you want the, our future America for those of you who don't care enough to get off your couch to do something. You want to see what our future's like. Just look over at Europe, and and there you have it. And, and you're going to be saying you're you're going to be excuse you're going to be apologizing perhaps to your children and their children. And and again, I often say this to me. This is what this is what I believe. Um. When, when when I'm when I'm in the ground, or are my offspring gonna visit my grave and curse at my grave, or are they going to say, "Hey, thanks"? 
I care about not my legacy, but I care about the children, my children, my grandchildren. I care about this nation. I, I care about our morality. I care about the things that are important, I believe, to our survival, our spiritual survival, our survival as a nation, our survival as, as, as you know, it's just, and we look at the headlines. Look, um, UK, are UK officials more worried about, about, uh, Muslim rape gangs or those who speak about them? Those who speak about them. You know, yeah, the evil press paint Tommy Robinson and you evil. Our guest is Andrew Drapper from London, where it's late or early, depending on, depending on your mm-hmm. point of view. Um, but yeah, let's bring him in. Andrew Drapper, he hosts the show, The Red Pill Report. You can get that on iTunes. Go to redpill.report, the website there for all the information. Andrew, it's great to have you back on the show. A lot of crazy stuff going on in your side of the world lately. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. <laughs> I just wish you a better, better reason for us to be around. Yes, there is, there's lots of crazy stuff going on, uh, in, in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, the, the, the justification of the unjustifiable and the condemnation of those who are trying to stand up for what's right. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have said that better myself. Well, for, well, first of all, I want to say thank you. And, and I realize folks, uh, in imposition to say the least that, uh, on Andrew's part, uh, because it's, again, it's very late, very early in the morning in, in the UK, but, uh, but thanks for being with us. I, I am a, a bit of a night owl, so no, no problem there really. And I work nights anyway. Uh, okay. well, I'm not, I'm, I'm off tonight, but I work nights anyway, so I'm fine. Cool. This is just the beginning of a working shift, this. All right. Um, all right. Where do you want to start? Because we got Tommy Robinson. We, we, I mean, we, we can go a hundred different places, but where do you want to start? Well, Tommy Robinson is a very good place to start. Um, I, I heard a, a very good comment today from uh, someone from LBC, which is one of our, uh, well, it used to be a London, uh, London broadcasting company, but it's now national, uh, probably international. Uh, but there's a very good comment on there, which basically said this. If the, if the mainstream media were doing their job, there would be no reason for Tommy to be doing what he was doing that ended up with him being arrested. Um, for, for those of you who don't know, Tommy Robinson was reporting on um, uh, a, a case of, um, uh, should we say, alleged uh, Child grooming, grooming gangs yeah. that were <laughs> grooming gangs that were um, uh, mostly Islamic in background, uh, Pakistani Islamic, I believe, who were targeting vulnerable white girls, young teenage and, 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 and young teenage girls, and uh, bribing them with drugs and sex and money and th- um, sorry, drug and drink and, and money and things, and, and and getting them to a position where they were vulnerable to to have sex. And, and then there were gangs of people. In fact, in almost it's it's, it's estimated now almost every, in every town uh, in Britain, certainly in every city, there were there were these groups of people who were doing this grooming. And um, he was reporting on this outside a, uh, a court case where uh, I believe. They were on the final day. This this was verdict day. There was no no more um, case to be heard, and so there was nothing to influence really anymore. But he was he was arrested for allegedly um, uh, possibly influencing the 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 verdict that was going to come out today, as it were, the day that he was reporting. Um, and he's been he's been tried in in a, in a few minute long court case and sent in uh, sent to prison for thirteen months. Um, for uh, alleged contempt of court, uh, when, when, 
he was originally arrested for breach of the peace um, but that was a sort of a fake um, a fake arrest I've watched the, the live broadcast that he did all the way through and there's there's no point at which he is, is anything like breaching the peace or likely to be breaching the peace uh, so it was a fake arrest um, uh, the sort of things that went on with this his his own solicitor was told by the police he's going to be released there's no need for you to come up here he was given a court appointed solicitor um, and I believe he was told well if if Tommy pleads guilty to this uh, we won't we won't charge him um, and so Tommy pled guilty to that I've, I've got some notes here somewhere that say that uh, um, you're all surprised that he pled guilty but he, he was told he wasn't going to be charged um, so he pled guilty and then within five minutes I think it, he, it was that he was um, summarily sentenced to to one year and a month in prison wow so he was duped all in one day. I mean, all in. It, it does sound like he was duped. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, not only duped, it was worse than duped because he was deprived of his own proper lawyer. Because they, they, they are apparently now. You know, I wasn't there. I've, I've, I'm only hearing this uh, second and third hand. But apparently, his lawyer was told, uh, "You don't need to come up here because when he's going to be released." Uh, and then through uh, someone, I think, tweeting out on Twitter, they found out that, he, no, his name's on the court schedule for today, and he was summarily marched into court, and within minutes was, was taken off to uh, to prison. All right. Now, is this, okay, is this the judge? Uh, walk me through, I mean, help I me out with this. the government, but yeah. I mean, but but this one judge is being is being uh, pointed at and saying, you know, this guy, this guy's, it's the judge. Well, or is it there's more got to be that? more than the judge involved because the police arrested him. Right. Um, when he, you know, I, I've watched the video of what he was doing when he was arrested. Um, uh, time and time again, he said to the police, is it okay if I do that? this? Is it okay if I report on that? Is it okay if I stand here? There was basically just, most of the time, there was just him in the street. Um, he, he was holding his own camera, so there wasn't even a cameraman close with him. Um, and there were people coming up to him, patting him on the shoulder, people coming up hiding the, the, the name on, the, on, on their work things. They said, we can't be seen with you, but we want to <laughs> shake your hand and congratulate you. Uh, we might lose our jobs if we do that because of the sort of, uh, <laughs> hate, hate speeches out there. Oh, you gotta, this, this is great. This, this, this shows something of, of the, the, the way the reporting is often, um, being sort of done. Um, far right demonstrators, well, uh, uh, the t- this demonstration in, to free Tommy Robinson, or, or you know, protesting about his arrest, there were thousands of people there. How, do the, how does the Mail know that they were all far right? Um, <laughs> I, I may well have been there if I hadn't lived so far away, and I, if, if I'd known far early enough that it was on, I might well have been there. So I, I'm not a far right demonstrator. And let me go down. Uh, if, can you pop that back up again? Um, EDL founder Tommy Robinson. Well, it's true. That is that is factually accurate. And everywhere you see him reported, uh, I've got one up here, um, uh, another one here. EDL founder Tommy Robinson. Uh, everywhere that that he he is is mentioned in the mainstream media, he's uh, mentions the, the the founder of the EDL. But he left the EDL, his own organisation. He left it because it became infiltrated with with racists and, yeah. and uh, what might be called neo Nazis. But they still. Be- when he founded it, it wasn't founded to be racist or neo-Nazi, but it became that, and then he left. So all all they seem to want to do is to paint him as being this 
racist. Of course. Because they want to associate him with a group that he, he disassociated himself with. He left, even though it was his own group. That, and that's, you know, really something else. And Eric, put that uh, article back up if you can from the, the Daily Mail because it, it caught filming outside a court. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, there were police there all the time. He was not caught filming. Right. They knew it was filming for over an hour, live streaming on Facebook. He was not caught filming outside. The, you know, this is just sensationalist speech, uh, that is designed so that those who don't know the situation, those who only know the, the legend around Tommy Robinson, and, and he has a bit of a background, you know, he, he was a, um, uh, well, we, in England, we might call him a bit of a lad. Um, uh, a, a, a football hooligan in his past to, to a mild degree. Um, he's, he's a, he's a working class Brit. So he drinks a bit, he parties a bit, he, um, goes to football matches and yells a bit. But he's grown up, he's matured. But they still want to paint him as, as the, the, the boy he was as a teenager. Um, and want, you know, uh, want to make sure that no one is able to hear the now clear, well thought through, informed reporting that he does. They still want to keep him painted as a racist. I don't think he ever was a racist in the first place. What he, no. what he hated was the fact that his town, his English town was now, well, uh, Luton Stan or somewhere. Yeah, and it, it's real. I mean, this is exactly what the press in the United States does. They they do it with President Trump. They do it with President Trump supporters. Uh, they do it with you know people who commit acts of terrorism all, or, or uh, uh, mass shootings. They always try. You know, the 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 guy uh, a mass shooter could be a, a, a lifelong Democrat, Hillary Clinton voter, but you know he'll like one thing <laughs> on Facebook uh, that you know could be tied to some somebody on the right, and they'll. Use that as the main headline saying, you know, right winger uh, commits mass terror attack. This is what they do best. And when they have, when, when, the, when the evil people have the media on their side promoting their evil ideologies, this is what they're allowed and able to get away with. And you said it, uh, that, you know, this is what people are going to see who really haven't dug into the story and don't know any better. Well, that's like 90% of the people. Uh, maybe not in this case specifically, but overall, when we, you know, how much of the main, how much of the population actually researches and, di- and digests and goes to find the truth of, uh, you know, the situations after seeing headlines like that? I'd say not many at all. Very few do. And this is the damage that can be done with misleading headlines and lies. And, you know, uh, it's so frustrating to watch. We, we, we see it here in our country every single day. An example, the Samantha B comment where she called Ivanka Trump the C word, uh, right after Roseanne was fired. And you have all these people coming to the defense of the Samantha B saying, oh, she was right to say it. At the same time, condemning Roseanne and applauding her firing. This hypocrisy is, is just so frustrating. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it doesn't matter if it's in the UK or if it's in the US. Well, you know, let, let me pop in here for a second because it, uh, Daily Star, um, I'm not familiar with that publication. It's the European okay, website. Yeah, UK, yeah. Uh, Tommy Robinson supporters overrun city center as hundreds gather outside court, <laughs> hurling uh, uh, bottles and rocks at police. And, and then I, I, I like this because you just scroll down. The National Front in the 1970s, the ugly face of British racism. It, it's, it, it, um, wow, wow. The, the way this is framed, I mean, 
I don't yeah. know. And this is the same media that, that you know, and, uh, somebody who commits a terror act in the name of Islam, you know, will call you racist if you point those facts out. But here they are, you know, using any and everything they can against uh, Tommy Robinson. So uh, let me ask you this, Andrew. I'm not familiar with the legal system in the U.K. Is there any chance for him to get an appeal, or is he stuck there for 13 months? Well, if he's a good boy, he could get out in half that to start with. Um, but I, I believe there are very good grounds for appeal on the grounds that, you know, you cannot say to someone, uh, someone's lawyer, um, uh, we're going to release him, you don't need to come, take him to court and uh-huh, have him yeah. tried without his lawyer there uh, and, you know, that be acceptable. Now, I, I don't know um, how things... I mean, it, it's one thing to know what the law is, it's another thing to know how it's going to be acted out in the courts, isn't it? He was he was not breaching the peace, but they arrested him. We have many, many, many times where now where street preachers in England are being arrested for hate crimes. None of them have ever been prosecuted. I don't think many have ever gone to court. But they're arrested, they're held by the police for uh, 14, 20 hours in a police holding cell, and then they're released. And, and you know, that, that, that has a chilling effect. How many people want to, you know... to, to to spend their, 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 you know, 24 hours or 20 hours in the police cell. You've got a job to go to tomorrow. You, you know, you, you're out on the streets in the evening preaching and, and, and you've got a, your wife's got to phone your job up in the morning and say, I'm ever so sorry, but my husband's in the police cell. You know, you're not going to have your job for long. Yeah. Well, you know, uh. So it, it, it's one thing knowing what the law is. It's another thing how it's applied. And there is, you know, there's, there's an inappropriate application of the law. Um, I just got an art- article here it's uh, from Westminster Telford MP Lucy Allen MP highlights shocking failure to protect girls from child grooming gangs and it goes on to talk about how the police uh, have been uh, appear to have been too scared and we've we heard this many other places as well but it's, you know, it's just again here too scared to uh, tackle these, these grooming gangs because they're brown people doing the grooming and if you <laughs> if you arrest a brown person you might be a racist you know okay. I'm trying to be polite here yeah but they're par- mostly Pakistani gangs and therefore we cannot arrest them because we might be called racist if we do uh, you know how, how do we fight this how do you <laughs> I mean here, here we are in the United States and of course our guest is Andrew Dropper who's uh from London in the United Kingdom. But um, how, how do we, as a civilization, I suppose, fight what's going on? I know we've got different laws, the United States and the UK. Um, but but we, we've got to do something. And, and Well, let me pull that back. Is it possible that the demonstrations, that, that the movement to free Tommy Robinson will be successful in freeing Tommy Robinson? Is that possible? Uh, protests don't often bring about what they're they're protesting about. Um, <laughs> there are too many police. There are too many high walls between yeah. the prime minister and, and and the people who are protesting. But what it shows, I think, Tommy Robinson is just uh, a symptom. Tommy Robinson. Yeah, we we really want to get Tommy Robinson out. We want to get him back reporting. But in many ways, his arrest has served a better purpose than his reporting was. Um, if he had just done that report, there would have been a few thousand people listen to it and a few thousand people grumble a bit. But now, I mean, the world is talking about 
Britain and Tommy Robinson and, and uh, pedophile grooming gangs and uh, the streets are up in uproar. I, I don't know whether you got it. I sent a link across by yeah, we got it. Skype. Um, you, you, there's you know videos of, of protests today in, in uh, Leeds, I think it was, or yeah, I think it's yep, Leeds. Yep. Um, next next Saturday there'll be a, a probably a very big one. There's lots of calls for it already uh, for a march in London. People are being red pilled <laughs> for want of a better term <laughs> all across Britain now. The, the places wake up. You 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 go to Twitter, put in Tommy Robinson, and and it's just full of comments about it. Go into YouTube and put in Tommy Robinson, um, or, or put in the word red pill for that matter. And everywhere now there are British people standing up and they're taking their their their, their, their phones out and they're, they're walking around the streets. You know, where, where are we? Here we are. Phone and, and recording uh, something, posting it on Facebook or. YouTube or somewhere and, and, and more people are listening and you know there are um, hundreds of people doing this thousands of people listening tens of thousands probably listening and the, I think there is a bit of a wave of people waking up I, the, I, real I think challenge, you're right. yeah. the real challenge though of course is that the church is not doing this not yeah. the church calling for the freedom for Tommy Robinson but the ch- church is not being salt and light in our nation I, I like um, um, true news um Founder Rick Wilds has come up with a new phrase recently. He says we need to shine brightly. We need, well, we need to taste salty, shine brightly, and love everybody. And the church just isn't tasting salty. Um, uh, some church—it's not that no churches are, but so many churches in England now are uh, limp-wristed and wet, and that there's no holiness to God. It's all just God is love, and you know. Oh, it's, it's, it's wet. I mean, I, I don't know. Did you see the royal wedding? No, I did not. I saw, you know, a few oh, headlines. Shame on you. Absolute shame. <laughs> we, we had actually, uh, in, in the senior Hagman household, we had a royal wedding party where we served tea and crumpets. I'm sorry we didn't. No, no. Why would, why would we want to watch the royal wedding? <laughs> the royal wedding was quite stunning, actually, in many ways. It was Trinitarian. It began with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ was mentioned right at the very beginning of the of the wedding service and right at the end of it too. It was yeah. it was not a gender neutral wedding. There was husband and wife and there were vows taken between them. It was it was in many ways a very, very good wedding. And the sermon was very exciting in many ways, but it was just love conquers all. And it was love this, love that, love the other, and um he did, he did get, I, I said, I said, we were sat watching this as the Drapper household. I said, is he going to mention the fact that love took Jesus to the cross? And he did. Wow. But there was no gospel application that because of your sin he did this, or you need to repent because of this, or you need to accept Jesus as your savior. It was just basically universalism. God loves everybody and everything's going to be fine. Oh. And that's where the church is in so many places nowadays. Um, Good point. Uh, that, yeah. That we, we, there's no challenge. There's no saltiness. And until you know, they, we, we've got people on the streets to free Tommy Robinson, but there's no one on the streets really crying out that people are going to hell. Yeah, Tommy Robinson's in prison, and that could be bad. I mean, we have. Uh, let me find what I can find here. Here, a, this, this is the, the technical way of getting things up 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 on the screen here. Um, yeah, it's, it's going left yep, to right. Yep. Bacon, bacon on Moscow fender dies in prison. Um, 
it could be bad for Tommy Robinson being in prison. Most British prisons are run by Islamist groups. Um, it's not the Muslim Brotherhood, but it's the Brotherhood of something. Uh, and, and they run uh, the, the prisons. And people who've been into prison recently uh, that I had on my show a little while ago, it's, it's, it's a, a podcast called Two Ordinary Blokes or something like that. And, and they, they say, well, when, when they went into prison, you're, you're greeted and, and you're basically told um, you, you can become a Muslim you get a fruit basket and some extra clothes, you know, and, and, and we'll you know, look after you while you're in prison. You can pay your tax, your, your jazira taxes, jizia tax, or you can get beaten up. And, you know, for Tommy Robinson, he was severely beaten up last time he was in because he stands against Islamic, not, not against Muslims, but against Islamic um, mistreatment of British girls, mistreatment of uh, Islamist girls, um, you know, we we have a, a, a crazy situation. This this religion of peace, but the man we're supposed to follow, he married his youngest wife at nine. Where well he had he had he was betrothed to her at six, but he was married to her at nine. Had sex, we consummated the wedding at nine years old. This is the man that Islamist uh, Muslim men are supposed to follow, and so he stands against this, and so he's in big trouble if he's in prison. But that doesn't really matter if Tommy lives or dies in prison it, it's it's a mere detail in history the church needs to be crying out that millions of people are going to hell and that unless they repent they're in trouble um, and where's the church we're, we're having that tea and crumpets party that you mentioned where is the church I mean this is uh, both <laughs> here in the US and in uh, all throughout the west it is you know, self-destructing. You have factions of the church. You know, you have a, a small faction who's remaining, uh, you know, strict to the Bible and to the the Word of God. And then you have some of these mainstream churches. I mean, look at what the Pope's doing. Then you you have Protestant and other Presbyterian churches here in America. Uh, you know, completely bending to this social justice warrior agenda, promoting homosexuality, promoting transgenderism, promoting abortion. They're not churches anymore. They are institutions of religion, uh, not Christianity, uh, but they are unfortunately under the Christian banner. And then this is what the world world sees, and how they judge Christians based on what they see, uh, the, you know, from the worst Christian behavior that's out there. And it's really unfortunate. And without that, uh, you know, backbone of the church, without that church staying with, uh, you know, the righteousness and and what God preached and sticking to the that word of God. They are ineffective, and now they're a part of the problem more so than anything else. Well, I, I was uh, excommunicated from a church a while ago. Um, it, it was a, a village in England with two churches, a Church of England church and, a, and an ordinary evangelical church. And uh, there was a new vicar at the Church of England church, a female vicar, which I have a challenge with, but, you know, each to their own. Uh, but we had her over to our church, and we were asked to pray for her and her, her ministry. And so at the end of the... I, I sort of just kept quiet. At the end of the service, I said to her, Oh, tell me how you came to Christ. And she said, I'm a cradle Christian. Which I presume means that she was born a Christian and didn't have to be born again or, or the like. And so I thought, well, yeah, I just need to bear this in mind and, and, and be careful because I don't know that she's ever come to a saving faith in Christ. Well, the week afterwards... Our minister came to me and said she was very offended that you should question her. her wow. Well, I didn't question her faith. I just said, how did you come to Christ? But she was very offended. 
and I was told we must never judge I must never judge anybody in the church again I said well I didn't judge her I just asked her how she came to Christ but I am going to judge people because my Bible says I've got to reject false teaching and the only way I can reject false prophets and false teaching is if I take their words and, and, and hold it to the, this book here um, it, it, if I compare their preaching with this and if it matches that's okay if it doesn't I've got to say well I can't go along with that and so he said well get out then um, <laughs> not quite wow not quite that politely either. <laughs> wow, is right. Okay, and I believe the church is, and I, I don't. Well, it's it's patriarchal as opposed to matriarchal, which I I have a problem as well with the. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. The the the, the female bishop, female, yeah, leadership. Yeah. You know, I, I is yeah. that scriptural? I, you know. Well, we often no. call them priests over here. I'm sure they ought to be priestesses, didn't they? But they don't seem to like the term priestess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, they're female priests. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's this language stuff, isn't it? You know, we have um, uh, we, we so change language that you can't even speak the truth easily anymore. And, and, um, yeah, exactly. And I heard your, your, uh, the Red Pill report. You had Coach Dave, I think it was on the 23rd or so of, of oh, last week. Oh, good man. Good man. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, truth becomes hate speech to those who hate the truth, uh, uh saying yeah, by, yeah. uh, but no, I mean, folks tune in to the Red Pill report. Uh, go to, uh, go to, uh, Andrew's website, the report. Fantastic information there. And, and be sure to, to listen to the May 23rd, 2018 episode of the Red Pill Report. Uh, Andrew Drapper's a tremendous interviewer, much better than we could ever be. Um, oh, no. but I'll, I'll tell you, man, it's, uh, so you're doing some great work, but, but yeah, it, it, it's really something. I, I guess we're talking about the larger issue here too, and, and then I'm just going to shut up, but, um, isn't it, isn't it, Tommy Robinson, the situation there, it's a symptom of a much bigger problem. Everything we're seeing here in the United States, everything we're seeing in Europe, it's a, much, it's a symptom, it's, it's, really this is good versus evil. This is right versus wrong. It's not, uh, it's really, it's, it's just that simple, isn't it? I mean, when it, when you come right down to it. Well, there, there, there are several things, I guess. There's, there's Britain, uh, even though it has by no means ever been a Christian nation, although we sometimes describe it as that, it was a nation that had Christian foundations. <laughs> and if people didn't want to obey the Christian morality as we were, at least they knew what it was. And, you know, when if homosexuals got up to whatever they got up to, if people were using prostitutes or whatever, they knew they were sinners. When a bank robber robbed a bank, he knew it was wrong. But we now are in a position where we have so changed um, our understanding of right and wrong that 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 people don't understand um, even that they're sinners in many ways. That's why I believe that we need to start taking the law, the Ten Commandments, and, and, and applying that into people's lives. Um, I, I've got a, a second website, Bible-Matters.com, and on there you can see my my evangelism training program. It's it's not great, but it's the, the videoing's sort of a bit amateur and so on. But you can get the details, and it shows on there that 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 just so so many people take the sort of idea of well, God loves you. Well, God, yeah, God loved the people at Sodom and Gomorrah too, but He rained fire on them. Uh, God, you know, so. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, yes, he had a wonderful plan for the people on the top floor of Grand Tower, but it wasn't to live for very long. 
um, or in your case, you know, how, how do you share the gospel with people? Um, let's think, uh, the Twin Towers. If you were on the top of the Twin Towers uh, and you had, you know, just a few minutes left to speak to someone, how do you share the gospel with them? Saying to them that God has a wonderful plan for your life or come down to our church because we have great singing or, you know, that's not going to work. What you need to do is deal with people's hearts. And I believe that the, the way Jesus did that and the way that, that, that we should be doing that is tackling the fact that people are sinners. But how do you do that? You say to someone, you up into the street and say to someone, I think you're a sinner. You're going to get a bent nose. Mm-hmm. So we use the law. Um, and, you know, it, it, you, you can't just sort of direct this a, a, immediately as you were. But if you go up to someone and say, do you reckon you're a good person? They'll say, sure, because the Bible says everyone will reckon himself to be a good person. can't remember the reference on that, but I could find it if you want. But then if you say to them, I'll tell you what, let me let me just ask you a few questions to see if you're a good person. How many lies have you told this year? And immediately they're going to be asking them, you know, counting in their head how many lies they've told. Um, if you ask them, have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours in the whole of your life? Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? And, yeah, most people have. There's very few people who haven't. Even if it's not a physical thing, it's it's stolen answers to a, 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 que- to, a to an exam or the like, you know. We all are thieves. Um, have you ever taken God's name and used it as a swear word? Well, yes, they have. Have they ever looked on a woman with lust or looked on a man with lust? You know, and you're just using, th- these are the Ten Commandments, but you don't need to talk to them about that. But so, um, you, you, you say, well, so by your own omission, you're a lying thief and a blaspheming adulterer at heart. And then you can take them to the Bible and say, these are just ten of God's, God's standards. If God were to judge you by these, would you be guilty or innocent? You know, and, and, and you know, this is just a very, very, very brief run through. But we need to have some method of getting people to realize that they actually are not the perfect people they think they are. You know, in our world, we, we, we don't have anybody fail. We don't have anything be wrong. Child grooming, well, you know, they, they, they were just, you know, being friendly to the girls. Or, um, you know, we've got drag queens. Well, they're, they're just, you know, expressing they're in a whatever. Um, you've got a 60-odd-year-old a, a man wants to be an 8-year-old girl. Well, you know, he's just having, you know, dress-up day. Uh, we, we don't say anything is wrong anymore. So how do we take the gospel to people who believe everything is right? Yeah. There's a little clip, there's a little clip I use. Um, I can't remember where it comes from now. Um, of, of, of a man at a, an American university who's talking to a... Um, uh, I think it was a, a science major, and he said that I, I, I believe that two plus two is five. Am I wrong? And the guy says, "Well, well no, you're, you're not wrong. Maybe in a different dimension, two plus two does equal five. No, in this dimension, no, 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 you're not wrong." And he, this, this guy's just incapable of telling this man that he's wrong to believe that two plus two equals five because we have so indoctrinated people that saying someone's wrong is wrong. That you know, so we need to to find a way to, to, to show people that this is not the world we live in there is a God who will judge them but we're not doing that we're um, we're letting Tommy get out on the streets we're letting the the um, uh, well the, the sort of football supporter, supporter type group of people get out on the streets they're shouting free Tommy Robinson and Tommy 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 Robinson what the church needs to be doing is out on there proclaiming the gospel because we've been told to do that that's our calling is to be salt and light into a nation. If your nation is going rotten, that's because you've not turned the, the, the pork into bacon. You know, bacon doesn't rot like pork does. 
Yeah, Andrew. I love that analogy and, and I, I, the comparisons that, that that you made. You know, if if the church took on that persona or or that um, you know, if if the church we as the church approached what we need to do the way Tommy Robinson's supporters are approaching that situation, we could win on the sheer numbers. You know? Certainly in America you could, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, yeah. okay, what, one problem we would have here in England, if revival came, if God came down like he did in, you know, in the Hebrides or in, in Wales with the Welsh revival, uh, you had Jonathan Edwards with the revival over in America. If that happened in the UK today, most people who uh, were touched by God would find it difficult to find a church to go to that believed the Bible and could teach the Bible. Mm. Okay. You know, we we just uh. the church just doesn't have the 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 muscular Christianity to manage um, uh, what would happen if if people came in off the street saying we need the gospel, tell us the gospel. It, it, um, ain't no one there. Well, I, it, okay. So, so what you're saying is the, the church is deficient in that respect, especially in the UK, where where. No one is there to to teach what needs to be taught. I guess no one's there to teach the the teachings of of, de- of Jesus to teach the yeah. scriptures that are written in the Bible, Old and New Testament. They have uh, been so far removed from it that they uh, you know teach their own teachings or their own interpretations on the gospel, and uh, it's it's so unfortunate. Andrew, I want to ask you this: we we got about twenty minutes left in the interview. I. I uh, be upset if I didn't get a chance to talk with you about this topic, the, which has not been in the U.S. media too, too much in the last few weeks, but for uh, a few weeks before that, it was getting so much attention. The violence in London, we've seen huge increases mm. in stabbings and in the murder rate. Just last night, you had, uh, three people stabbed, a man shot multiple times with a machine gun, and, uh, these, this violence in London continues to increase. But I, I thought I thought you have gun control, right? Um, let's just have a look here. The Bill of Rights, 1689, says that the subjects which are Protestants, not those Catholics, the subjects with the, which are Protestants may have arms of their for their defence suitable to their condition, but only as allowed by law. And of course, our law has now changed. <laughs> but I found that interesting. The Bill of Rights, 1689, says that we may, we have our Second Amendment too. We are allowed, the Protestants, are allowed arms to, for their defence, suitable to their condition. But of course the laws have now changed, so we don't have that. So we only have guns in the hands of criminals. That's not quite true. We could have quite an uprising because, um, <laughs> every, every farmer and his mother has got a, good, a number of guns put by. Um, but um, uh, no, there, there is a, a real problem with with violence. But you know, the, the problem is not with the guns. The problem is with the heart. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. We w- w- where where we don't have gun violence, we have stabbings. Where we have a, a crackdown on on knives, which we do have. Um, I, I my granddaughter was at a farm the other day. We we I've got a son who's he's, he's sixteen. He's just started working on a sheep farm. 
um, uh, just he's still uh, still homeschooling, but he he does a couple of days a week on a sheep farm. And we took him down there to see the the lambs a few days ago, uh, a few weeks ago probably now. And um, one of the farmers there took out a knife to cut a bale of straw, and these girls recoiled mm. in horror that this person had a knife. All my children carry knives all the time because well. That's what we do. We're, we're country people. We want to sharpen a knife, want to cut a piece of paper, want to open a parcel. We always have a knife in our pocket. Now, we have to take it out if we go uptown because people might be, you know, offended or we might get arrested. Yeah, you get but arrested. We, you know, we, <laughs> we always carry a knife around and we don't stab anybody. The, uh... but, where we, but where knives aren't allowed, what do we have? We have acid crime. Yep. We, we're the acid, acid attack capital of the world. Um. But, but but you nailed it though. It, it's not the gun. It's not the knife. It's not the potato peeler. It's not the baseball bat or the club. It's the heart. Absolutely. You, you, you cannot. I, I mean, the bottom line is uh, is a gun's not going to go off by itself. It's an inanimate object. A knife's not going to stab somebody, you know, on its own. It's a person that's using that item, and and I just uh, it amazes me to to see this this mentality that you've got to ban these that's the solution look at our our chicago yeah. here okay it's a gun-free zone virtually and and it's the high you know it's ridiculous so in, in the hands of the good people it's a gun-free zone right so so you nailed it and um your mayor you know in, in City london Con. yeah okay so we got to do this and we got to you know get rid of knives and sharp knives and uh, have you guys thought about the? I mean, has anyone Throwing taken stars? your advice? Anyone taken well, your what advice? What we're going to do is not not get rid of sharp objects. Um, <laughs> do you know, I, I, there was a social worker report on a family that I was working with a few years back now, and um, they said one, one of the one of the reasons they were they were hoping to take this family's children away was it's been reported that she was seen with a screwdriver. Now she was about two years old. She was handing her dad a screwdriver. Well, oh, I, I said, well, my children are two years old and they eat with a knife and fork. You know, they're sharp objects too. <laughs> um, the world is mad, but it, it's a heart transplant we need, not not our tools, uh, not our, our weapons removed. Um, exactly. uh, uh, again, true news. Uh, Rick Wiles often often says, back when he was a child, children would go to school, and, and, and you have different uh, driving ages and school ages, I guess, than we do. They'd go to school in their truck. With yeah. across the back window a hunting rifle. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah, I remember that. And no that. one got killed. Oh, and right. then what did, then what did you do? There was something that was taken out of your schools. Now what was that? The Bible. Um, prayer. Was it, the, was it the Bible? And prayer. And prayer. And God. And prayer was taken out of your schools. And now what do you have? Your, your schools have metal detectors at the doors, uh, wire fences all around them to keep them safe. Transgender um, studies of kid, with kids. <laughs> yeah, yep. Trans, do you know, we have here in England now, I wonder if I can find it on my notes here, um, we're now teaching our five-year-olds uh, about being trans, and there's a school... Of course. Um, of course. There's a school in Wales now that has... Uh, I, I don't know whether you, you, you have a, a, a... Do you know what an assembly is in school? We have, Sure, yeah. Um, uh, every morning we, we used to have an assembly at school, and it's still legal requirement that we have a religious assembly, though no, no school ever does anymore. But they have special assemblies to celebrate when a child comes out as transgender and oh, this is no. a school with six, seven, five, six, seven and eight year olds in uh, um, the, the world has gone bonkers uh, that was in, in last weekend's um, 
podcast. Uh, which one was that? 28th May, if anybody wants to listen, listen to that. 28th May, transgender thought police. Children as uh, young as four are being told uh, by head teacher to be, tra- uh, to be trans, oh no, in a trans-friendly primary school to tell on children who misgender classmates. So at four years old, if you get the, na- if, if there's a boy there with a, what, what did we describe as his last time? With a dangly tackle or something. Oh, the dangling part of something there, there. Yeah, yeah. Who's got a frock on and a four-year-old gets mistaken and calls that boy a boy instead of a girl, says he did this, they're to tell the headmistress. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, and the problem, uh, we ha- the problem we have in our schools is not, uh, in our society is not with guns. That's no. right. It's with, it's with left-wing madness that leaves people well I mean you bring um, uh, you, you take the Bible out but what else did they bring in they brought in evolution and evolution says you're just an evolved piece of piece of well slime that grew up there's no purpose nor value in your life it's no wonder that there's high suicide rates and high murder rates because they're just an animal there's no purpose in your life there's nothing to live for nothing to be good about so you know if, if you people go out hunting why not hunt in schools because they're just animals that's what evolution teaches yeah they brought in evolution they brought in abortion and they removed god and now they're blaming the guns they're blaming the knives they're blaming the opioids not the people who use those inanimate objects in the wrong way instead they're they're blaming the inanimate objects and that's, that's right. all part of here in america at least trying to remove the second amendment from the constitution to get the guns out of the hands of the people who they believe pose a danger, which are those Trump supporters, those Christians, those conservatives who don't and who won't and don't want to go along with the liberal insanity agenda of evil that they are pushing forward. Andrew, we got about uh, 11 minutes left, 12 minutes left. Did you see uh, in America over here? Did you see the comments made by Samantha B? And did you hear about the Roseanne firing? Have you been following any of that? I've heard about the Roseanne firing. Yes, Samantha B. Was that the one who used the um, yeah, yep. C yeah, word? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know? Isn't isn't there someone someone B. that you have on as a guest? Um, Honeybee. Honeybee. Honey yeah. Don't get those two muddled up, will you? <laughs> no, 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 no. She was actually no. on last night. But... Well, well, one's got class. The others, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the other one should be sent back to school. <laughs> is, is sent the, somewhere. Any reporting in the UK reporting on this? I, I've not I've not seen any, okay. but um, uh, who, who's the, the the guy on that? Mark Dice. Yes, he does yeah. a, a wonderful short piece, just five minutes long, really, looking at the hypocrisy. Of, oh yeah. Um, she she said this terrible thing and 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 called someone who is who, um, excuse me, I, who is it? She she said a, a thing about. Uh, Valerie Jarrett says she looks like uh, the spawn Jared. of Mo- Muslim is, is, is Brotherhood. Valerie Jared, is Valerie Jarrett Valerie Jared, uh, uh, a person of color? Because she doesn't look like that. No, she's not really. Oh, she, she's Persian. Right, well... Uh, and look, under their own well, evo- theory of evolution, we all came from apes. So how can this even be a thing of race? <laughs> there you go. But, but uh, Mark Dice points out time and time and time again, people talk about Trump as being um, an orangutan or related to an orangutan yeah. or having a mother who's a, an orangutan but those people get praised to heaven for it Andrew, um, uh, you know, uh, hang on a second I'm, I'm going to get a ton of email on this she's not Persian uh, she, she lived in Iran for a while I apologize she is 
uh, on her, I think her father's side, uh, African American black, that is to say. So uh, my apologies. I just don't want to get a ton of email because I, I was incorrect when I said that. But she doesn't, she, look, it's her skin color, she doesn't look, uh, black. I, I, I believe the Bible, the Bible tells me that God made one race. Yeah. It's the human race. That's right. Uh, and we're all made of one blood. Um, it's your, it's, it's the godfather of the evolutionary, uh, theory that brought about racism. Um, at least certainly modern racism and modern eugenics because, uh, the, the survival of the fittest, um, the, um, Oh, Darwin's book. What's that called? Um, uh, uh, that one. Yeah, that. The, the, the second part of the title is Origin and of the, Species, uh, uh, and the survival of the of the the more favoured races, or something like that, isn't it? Um, he he really brought about the idea that black people are less evolved than white people, mm-hmm. and and you know, but uh, that's what evolution would teach. But but Christianity doesn't. Christianity says that we're you know we all have the same Grand, grand, grandparents, Adam and Eve, yeah. uh, and, and Noah and Mrs. Noah too. Um, so you know, racism's not a Christian thing at all. Although there has been racism within uh, churches, it's only been by the misapplication of theology, um, not not true Christianity. Um, Very true. But yeah, yeah. I, I a just cu- cu- couple of things I want to tell you here. Okay. Uh, before you do, I just want to make sure everyone knows you've got a, a podcast, a Red Pill Report. Folks, tune into that. It's uh, what uh, every other day, I think it's. No, it's it's it. Well, the mo- I would love it to be daily, but it, I, I've I've just got to do a I've got to earn a living at the moment. If I if it, if we ever get income coming in from it sufficient to make it daily, we'll go daily. But at the moment, weekend, Sunday night, Monday morning, we okay. do a, a review of the week's news, and uh, often during the week we'll put out a. Um, uh, an, an interview like with Coach Dave Dobermeyer or someone like that. All right. Well, uh, um, well folks, I urge everyone to get behind the Red Pill Report. Let's help um, Andrew Dropper uh, do this full time because he's got his finger on the pulse of everything over there. Uh, like us, good guy needs to be needs that platform. So support the Red Pill Report. I just want to make sure you we got that in there and go ahead and take it wherever you want to. I didn't mean to. Bless you. That's very kind. Um, you you often say that we don't have freedom of speech over here. Um, Article ten of the European Convention on Human Rights, which is also brought over into English law as well, says everyone has the right to freedom of expression. This right shall include freedom to hold opinions and to receive and impart information and ideas without interference by public authorities and regardless of frontiers. The article shall not prevent states from requiring the licensing of broadcasting and da-da-da-da-da. But we have the right of freedom of speech, but it's as with all <laughs> things we have in British law, except when. Yeah. Uh, so, except if it's racist or except... I mean, you have... The, it's similar over there. You have... You, you know, you, you can't shout fire in a crowded theatre. Well... We, we have then limits put on that. So we do have a little bit of freedom of, of we have the right for it, except when the government says you don't. Uh, and uh, unfortunately that's becoming more and more the case. But I also wanted to tell you that it is 11 months, 20 days, 21 hours and 8 minutes until Brexit. Um, we're looking forward to regaining our, the right to govern our own country. <laughs> but but um, Brexit was passed years ago. Yeah, well, it was always, it was always, um, there was always supposed to be a two-year period because that's that's written into the European um, okay. uh, 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 document. I don't know what, what agreement it was, but the the I don't know the Rome Accord or somewhere 
um, that we had to give two years notice and, and that's absolutely reasonable because um, uh, companies, businesses um, uh, and so on need to have time to, to prepare themselves for this we need to we need to get back together you know our, think about what we're going to do with our borders how are we going to collect um, uh, import tariffs and deal with export tariffs and so on because you know there's a lot needs to be done so two years is not a bad problem we were a little bit late in signing article 50 so it should have been uh, about five months earlier than this but there always was we always knew there would be two years because that was uh, in in the articles of, of agreement with Europe that we had to give two years notice and we have given two years notice and it you know as far as I can see we're still moving towards it but what I found exciting is that there's possibility of Ital exit coming now we now have um, uh, a populist government what's a populist government by the way um <laughs> We we change words so, don't we? Yeah. Populist, I presume, means that the more people voted for it than for another one. <laughs> but it's now a, a, it's now a term of denigration, isn't it? Yeah. Italy's new populist government has been sworn in, ending months of political uncertainty. So there are two parties now, and apparently there's one from the left and one from the right. I don't quite know what that means, because, um, again, that's very confusing, isn't it? Nazis are right wing. But Nazi stands for Socialist so, yeah. Party, National Socialist Party of Germany. Well, the socialists are left wing. So, you know, I don't understand this at all, but they're both from different ends of the spectrum, one from the right and one from the left, but they're both populist. I, I, I would, I would argue that Nazis are extremely left wing. Nazi, Nazism, fascism are left wing as Marxism and Absolutely. communism are. So. Absolutely. But that's not what the mainstream media would say, is it? No. They would call people from the right Nazis. That's you right. know, you know, to- Tommy Robinson is is very close to being labelled a Nazi, but anyway, so we have, you know, we, we've got similar things in Spain. Uh, so we might go for a Spangle exit or whatever we're going to have over there. We've got Italy exit on its way. Greece has been talking that way. It looks to me like the European experiment is is well unsteady um, on its pins. Uh, I, I've got a picture over here somewhere. I probably can't find it now quickly. But have you seen the picture of the European he- headquarters that is oh, designed yeah. to look like the Tower of Babel? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have got a picture here somewhere. Oh, here we are. There you go. Yeah, that's not asking so, for trouble or nothing, is it? So there, there's the European... Par- oh, where's my microphone? Get out of the way. There European Parliament building. Here's the Tower of Babel. They're designed... One was designed to look unfinished to be... The, you know, the idea was we are going to bring all, everybody together as as one one nation um, <laughs> you can't make like this stuff God up I have la- the last laugh on that yeah Andrew I want to ask you this you mentioned the populism what we saw in Italy recently there is some potential real economic doom around the corner uh, as it is reaching insolvency and uh, this brought up new talks about what happened in Portugal with that huge populist uprising against the government which kind of got shot down after that vote that they had and now they're talking about Italy Pop might be uh, having seeing a populist movement uh, to move out of the EU along with several other countries do you see that atmosphere there for this and, and, you know, and they're talking populism? about wanting to expel a lot of migrants um, yeah yeah that's uh, exactly all, what they said a, yeah well uh, you know they, there, are, there are several things aren't there you can't tie disparate countries together economically mm-hmm. um it's like you know tr- trying to put a, a donkey and a racehorse together in, in uh, on the same cart. Uh, that, you know they just they're going to go round in circles. They're not going to work. 
one of them is going to damage the other person. And so we tied the huge ec- economies of Germany and France uh, and Britain to some extent, uh, although Britain was not in the euro, but but in the, in the same sort of uh, trading party. And then you put smaller countries that are more uh, that, that that have less strong economies, uh, like Greece and and, and Italy, uh, and you tied them together and and. They're going to tear. It's a bit like the the example of putting new wine in old wineskins. Uh, if you've got uh, two different types of material being brought together, and that's probably not the same at all, is it? But if you bring two different types of material together and glue them together, then uh, as one expands differentially from the other, something's going to give way. And so we've got that with the economies. Um, uh, there's, you know, you, things are going to fall apart because they... What they wanted, of course, was to bring us together to be one country with one government. And, and then you would have been able to force this more. But that hasn't happened. And they are now seeing it beginning to tear apart. Hmm. Andrew, well, we sir. only have uh, about two minutes left. Any closing thoughts? Anything you want to promote? Any upcoming interviews? Anything you got going on? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um I, not quite sure. I think what I need to promote is this, that there is one answer to this, and that's God. Amen. That's Amen the gospel. That. And there's one tool that God has put on earth to bring about that answer, and that's the church. But the church is not doing what it should do. We, we had a, a family come to us, uh, a little while ago, and they were struggling in their house, um, with, with various challenges. And, but they, they didn't even know the sort of foundations of, of marriage back in Genesis. One man and one woman put together for life. That, that God told us to go forth and fill the earth, to multiply and fill the earth. We know that the church hasn't taught the basics of, of where marriage is, what, what family is about, what the purpose is. Uh, Abraham talks about him being uh, chosen because he will teach his children after him. Uh, but we just turn ours over to the state to educate. Um, the church needs to well I think Coach Dave Dobermar would have a few words to say about it needs to buck up its idea and start being the church again we need to be uh, I've recently been going through Judges and Joshua and the the, the mighty men of valour in the Bible well we don't see that anymore we see sissy men with with, you know (laughs) without a backbone who is it I think Mike well is it yourselves or is it True news. I mean, talks about needing a calcium sort of implant in your backbone or something. Um, we've 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 got no. We just made a cal- cartilage. There's no no backbone to us. We need to start standing up and being the church. And, and there's the answer, Andrew Dapper. You are an international treasure. You really are. Bless and you. Th- th- thank you for being part of our program. Thank yeah, you for what you do. Red Pill Report. Uh, and I mean this. Uh, you're you're a hell of a great guy. We really appreciate what you do, Joe. I'm sorry. Yeah, and no, I just wanted to say the Red Pill dot report, Red Pill report. Download it on iTunes or listen to it on the site Red Pill dot report. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We always enjoy having you on. Love coming on your shows as well. So we'll be in touch and we'll do this again soon. You're welcome. Soon. You're welcome. And uh, for those who want to know what's happening in Britain, you know, tune in Monday morning to Sunday night's podcast. Very, Excellent. very God good. God bless you. God bless, God bless you, you sir. Too, sir. Stay safe out there. Folks, that'll do it for us the weekend. It's Friday. Um, don't forget, patrons, this Sunday, uh, patron meeting this Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. You'll get notified via email for the link. 
thank you for being part of our broadcast. Yeah. And thanks to all of our guests, from John Guandalo to uh, Bill Salas to Andrew Dropper, and uh, just God bless each and every one of you. <laughs>